Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, where this week we have a very special treat. We aren't just going to talk about one movie. That you we're haven't seen. Two movies. Uh, we've we've seen, seen it. We're going to talk about two movies that we've hopefully seen that have the same name. We'll, we'll get to more on that in a second, but first... All like homonyms. Similar. Similar. Uh, that's a fancy word. Well done, Kelly Wand. That was homonyms. Kelly Wand, but we also, we also have with us, speaking of homonyms... Christian Melinzi. Christian Melinzi. It's pronounced homunculus. Oh. Did they use that word? They don't. No. They should have. They should have used that word in in the movie. And uh, also Kelly Wand, who... Now, Kelly Wand, you're faced with a unique dilemma this week. Do you have a tagline for the 1973 version of Don't Be Afraid of the Dark? Or do you have a tagline for the 2011 version of Don't Be Afraid of the Dark? Or is it something else entirely? I have one for each. Oh, good, good. Okay, which one should we start with? Uh, the one that I wrote first. <laughs> okay. That would be the 73 version? Yeah. All right, what's uh, the tagline? Go ahead. Be less afraid of the light. Hmm. That was actually a backup. Okay. No, never mind. Let's say that's the front down. Now, let's fast forward to, what is it, 27, 28, 38 years. Yeah, 38 years of polish. This. <laughs> yeah, what does the tagline evolve into? That was just a raw 1973 uh, lame-ass TV movie catchphrase. I wasn't. That was the one. That. Right, that was the one with feathered. Embarrassed by the budget for that one. And it had feathered bangs and, and bell bottoms. What's the, the 2011 version of that go? Remake your tagline, Kelly Wand, go. Oh, it's a riddle, because uh, Halloween's only uh, 13 months off. Uh, what do you get when you goose a ghost? I give up. What do you get when you goose a ghost? A handful of sheet. <laughs> I'll, you know who would have loved that joke? I bet. Bailey Madison. Oh, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dingus, what? No, no, you can't do that. Yeah, that's, that's it's way, a talent. It's a talent. You're out of line, mister. Sure, crime was convincing. Uh, Dingus, how are you going to break this down now? Having seen two movies this week, what are you what are you going to do if I were to ask you, Dingus, to tell us about these movies in a spoiler-free kind of uh, situation? What 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 do you do, Dingus? Well, I'm just going to tell you guys that this week we saw "Don't Be Afraid of the Dark." Don't be afraid of the dark. <laughs> a 1973, 2011. American made-for-television horror movie, American horror movie, directed by John Newland, directed by Troy Nixie, written by Nigel McKeon, written by Guillermo del Toro and Matthew Robbins. The film is about a female estate in a house. The film stars Kim Darby and Jim Hutton, Katie Holmes, Guy Pierce, and Bailey Madison. <laughs> the actual movie is rated R for violence and terror which the MPAA told Guillermo del Toro meant pervasive scariness, according to him. Uh, he asked them, is there anything we can do? And again, according to Guillermo del Toro, they said, why ruin a perfectly scary movie? Because that's how the MPAA talks. 
In baseball, it's a field. In football, something. Uh, Dingus, what was the made-for-TV movie rated? Uh, Rated TV. (laughs) Okay. These days it would have a rating. These days they rate TV. These days TV is much more parent-friendly. I could say yes, because I recall seeing on TV, uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, when I was probably a little too young to have seen it and being a little freaked out. Uh, And I would have appreciated if... The TV. Oh, if you'd seen a rating beforehand at a friend farm. That's right. If the the TV- Warning, may traumatize for life. I saw it, too, and I had the same reaction. So this movie meant a lot to me. And watching the old one meant a lot to me. I went through you. you went well, through. now, Kelly Wand, so, Dingus, you've done that. Well done. Uh, Kelly Wand, what on earth are you going to do when a synopsis is required? Are you going to do them separately or together? Or are you just going to say, forget one of them, I'm only going to synopsize the other one, what, what do you do, Kelly Wan, when this is a podcast about two separate movies? Uh, well, since I saw the movie tonight, I just did that because I thought I'd come up with something clever, but then I ran out of time because I slept, and then I saw the movie. So I'll do one of two things. You guys can vote on this, the two of you, mm-hmm. and the listeners can vote by listening to you vote. Uh, either just... Replace all the terms in my head where I refer to the little girl with Kim Darby, or I'll just write a different one and post it, like, in a day or two. Can we not vote for both? Uh, It's one so fucking long, dudes. You shouldn't be greedy after hearing it. Okay. Well, can't we wait for people to tweet in their responses and then quickly calculate the votes? Who are they tweeting them to? I don't have Twitter. To our staff? Our, yeah, oh, yeah. The staff can That's take care true. of that. They'll tabulate the, the tweets. Uh, we've got interns, Kelly Wand. We, we've got this under control. I wish they'd write more of these things for us instead of just complaining about um, McGee doing 2001 remakes. Well, the, the quarter to three movie podcast internship is a six-year period, so we've only been going now for, like, what, two years. So in another four years, we can have them writing, but they've still got a lot of training to go through before they can write for us, so... Wait, I thought you told me I was a page. You're a, <laughs> you're a page to the interns. Yeah. Why is the jargon changing now? That's just for that's just for salary purposes, Kelly Wand. Oh, all right. I just zoned out. Thank you. All right, so tell hey, us that. Why don't you give us a what do you what do you call this synopsis? Don't be it, afraid of the synopsis. Uh, <laughs> I had don't be afraid of the opsis. Ah, good. All right. Uh, so I'm assuming this is primarily from the 2011 remake. Uh, but if listeners would like to, they can substitute in, whenever they hear the word, something about a little girl, just substitute in the name Kim Darby. Is that correct? Yeah, or old man, when it's okay. the old man character saying things. Okay. My synopsis. <laughs> I'll try to do voices, but I can't promise uh, talent. Well, Dingus has set the bar for that. You've got a... Uh... Yeah, I know. He was doing Carlin. I can't compete. You guys are trained actors. I don't even like talking. And I hate people. And I hate writing. And I hate movies. <laughs> and yet you and love gathering. Like That's true. That doesn't count. Cylon! Okay. Don't be afraid of the opsis. The opsis. This is so fucking long, I shouldn't even be meandering like this until now. Because now, if you think that was meandering, you ready? <laughs> I didn't have time to, like, polish this one. Because I, as it were... Because I just saw the thing. 
That's why it's so bad and long. Uh, okay, so Emma Thompson's this maid who's working in this <laughs> mansion back at the turn of the century before this century, and her boss is all, hey, Arwen, can you come down to the basement real quick? Because it's back during Tolkien's time, so they had different names. And she's all, it's not going to be anything creepy like the way you said polishing doorknobs during my interview, is it? And he goes, uh, not in the same way. This involves my missing son and voices whispering to me from the fireplace. By the way, you don't wear dentures, right? Oh, and grab the candle with the defective wick. I think I left it in the conservatory when Colonel Mustard came by last night to get high. And she's all, be right down. So she starts to go down the stairs, but some barbed wire trips her, and she tumbles down the steps and lands on the floor. <clears throat> We're like 10 seconds into the movie so far, by the way. And her boss sits on top of her, and she goes, that was a close one. I almost knocked my teeth out on the concrete. Guess this is my lucky day, eh? Wait, wait, what country are we in again? And he goes... <laughs> He goes, if you were a parent, you'd understand why I have to do this. And he chisels her teeth out. Then he puts them in a plate and brings them to the Victorian-era chimney flue built over a bottomless pit in the cellar. And he goes, okay, I did like you said, 30 servants' teeth. And the voices go, no, no, we said children's teeth, children's teeth. And he's all, oh, uh, you know, you guys are kind of hard to understand because you're always whispering. Uh, you can actually talk in a normal tone, even in the dark. Although, just FYI, painting that affectionate mural of you guys dragging my son to hell on that wall over there would have been a little easier for me with just a little light, especially that part near the ceiling up there. So you can see what I would have edited out if I had time. It's another fun game to play while you listen. And they're all, come closer to the grate. We'll whisper it in your ear. And he's all, you promise you're not going to stick that nail in my eyeball or eyeball again this time? Because that stopped being cute about ten corneas ago. And they're all, come closer. And he sticks his head in and goes, son? Then he gets dragged in and turned into a CG gnome that eats teeth. Flash forward 200 years to Guy Pierce and Katie Holmes driving a troubled little girl, his daughter, in the rain to the house to live with them till the end of rain season. And he goes, yeah, Sally, uh, your grandpapa was quite the gifted troubled artist. Maybe someday you'll follow in his tragic footsteps. Artistically, I mean, not knocking out <clears throat> his maid's teeth and mysteriously disappearing. <laughs> uh. So she shows him a thing she drew, and it's basically just a fucking spiral. And he's all, or maybe drawing's not your thing. You're only five or nine, something. So they get to the creepy house, and they park. And a creepy old man leaning on a rake glows at them and goes, It's not safe here, especially for kids. You're all going to die. Only toothless doom awaits thee and thine in the chimneys of the damned. And Guy Pierce is all, ah, lovable old Mr. Cratchity. He's got a million stories, just like his grandpapa, who worked here for my grandpapa and went to the electric chair for murdering him in the absence of contradictory evidence. No hard feelings, eh, old-timer? And the guy spits dip at their feet and goes, Taint safe. They eat children's teeth for breakfast. And Sally goes, Daddy, what's a taint? And Katie Holmes goes, Sorry, what's your job again, groundskeeper? And he goes, Ah, uh, I futilely warn... Your boyfriend's descendants against opening gateways to hell. And sometimes I lean on this rake and look troubled and pensive and mopey. And Katie Holmes goes, hey, so looks like you and I are going to be seeing a lot of each other. I guess she's saying that to the girl. I forgot to clarify that in my writing. And Sally goes, my mommy says my daddy made me inside her. 
And Katie Holmes goes, aw, and gives the kid a teddy bear that says, I love you, over and over, mindlessly. And she goes, I'm scared of the dark. And Guy Pierce goes, maybe this will help. Katie Holmes made it for you out of her recyclables. And he unveils this lamp, and it's shaped like a clown, smiling. And it makes her scream in terror. And he goes, here, honey, don't worry. And he turns the light on. But the heat from the bulb melts the clown's face, so it looks like a demon clown with a smeared face leering at her now. And then the light shatters, and the kid faints, and Guy Pierce goes, Aw, okay, my work here is done. So they go back to their bedroom to have sex. And Katie Holmes is all, Your daughter seems pretty issues-laden. Wonder whose side she gets that from. And he's all, Well, insanity and mysterious child disappearances run in my family, and this house, actually, but I'm an architect. And she goes, What are those pills with all the warning labels and icons of crazy people drooling on the side of the bottle she's popping every five minutes? And he's all, Uh-huh. What do I look like, her father? The important thing is that she's finally asleep instead of creeping us out with those bug eyes. Oh, hi, honey. Didn't see you standing there. And the kid goes, Mommy says you like Katie Holmes because she's young. But she's not young. (coughs) Wait, there's more. And Guy Pierce is all, yeah, but she's younger than your mom. Although your mom wasn't looking too shabby at the divorce settlement, tell her I said hi and wink at her like this. She'll know what it means. And Katie Holmes is all, hey, I know the special place where they can get Sally to exhibit less disturbing behavior by putting a computer chip in her head that'll go haywire only if she gets horny. And Guy Pierce is all, leave your Scientology out of this. <sighs> Did you guys see disturbing behavior? Kind of helped a joke. Saw it, maybe. <clears throat> so Sally finds a secret basement with a chimney grating in it, although the entrance is through some underbrush near the stables three acres away, and she hears some tittering voices cackling at her mischievously from the grate, going, Come play with us forever. And she's all, You're not going to kill me, though, right? And they go, No, no, you'll live forever. And she goes, Doing what? And they go, waiting for renters to come and terrorizing them into hammering out their kids' teeth. And she's all, why? And they go, because we eat those. And she goes, with what, other teeth? So she's intrigued enough to steal her dad's monkey wrench and brings it to the basement, and they take it into the grating, and she hears some goblin goblin, <laughs> goblin alchemy sound effects and goes, why don't you guys just grab the tools my grandpa left down here before you dragged him in? And they go, pss, pss, pss. And she goes, what? I can't hear you. Also, isn't using the old paper under the door to slide the key out trick kind of Raymond Chandlery for Supernatural? And they go, pss, 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 pss. Then Mr. Cratchit, he goes, Sally, go upstairs and scream and cry. I got this. And she goes, uh, you want me to turn the lights on or anything? He's all, no, I got this flashlight. Plus, I'm a grown man. I know what I'm dealing with. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And she goes, we could just wipe that schmutz off the skylight up there and do it by daylight. And he's all, get out of here. So she runs upstairs, and Mr. Cratchit, he starts to string scotch tape over the grating. But the demons giggle and pull his scotch tape dispenser through the grating and laugh at him. And he's all, hey, you bastards, give me that tape back, damn you. And he reaches through, but they handcuff his wrists like in Watchmen, so he's stuck there. And through the door at the top of the stairs, Sally goes, Mr. Cratchit, I found some Klieg lights in the broom closet. You want me to? And he goes, get out of here, kid. I got this. I told you. And the demons spray seltzer water on his face, and he sputters, why you? And he tries to yank himself free, but he throws his back out, and he takes a nap. And when he wakes up, the demons have his wallet out, and they have pictures of his cousins. 
out, like little wallet-sized ones, and they're spray-painting the mustaches off of them using flesh-colored paint and laughing at him some more. And he's all, hey, you fireplace gnomes, I'm one of you. Those are my personal items. Don't make me repeat it. So Sally and the maid, Mrs. Jenkley's hear a bunch of racket, and finally Mr. Cratchit's comes up, and he's got all these scissors and pins and knives sticking out of him, and the maid goes, Mr. Cratchit, did you eat maggots for brunch again? And he falls over. <sighs> so much to go. So Katie Holmes tells Guy Pierce they need to have a sit-down, and he's all, what's the problem? Things are going great. <laughs> and she's all... I think your daughter hates me. She ripped all my dresses. She somehow cut the power lines. She played some kind of practical joke on Mr. Cratchity with the scissors. I told her that it was funny, but she really needs to work on her spiral drawing. And he's all, look, can we talk about this later? Our dinner party's in five seconds. So she goes to the hospital and visits Mr. Cratchity and goes, what's the deal? And he's zonked out on pain meds and he moans, exposition, scene, Arkham, public. Library, take the 105, downtown Albuquerque, zoo at this hour, park on the street, after six. And she goes, oh yeah, why would you work at the same place that killed your grandfather, and why didn't he just burn the house down? And he's all, they hate bright lights, big city, consider it a lesser Jay McCurdy novel. And she goes, why not just light the house better even? But he's dead. So Katie Holmes goes to the library where a random dude tells her that a thousand years ago, the Vatican cut a deal with these chimney demons where they'd trade away human lives and children's teeth in exchange for silver coinage in an unknown currency. Thus equipped with knowledge, the second greatest weapon against evil of all. Katie Holmes gives Sally the first greatest a Polaroid camera with flash cubes and James Garner and Candace Bergen's face on the side. And she goes, what year is this anyway? And she keeps pictures of her dad's rich guests and scampering around. And at the dinner table, her dad bangs a silver spoon against a wine snifter and goes, I'd like to make a 10 minute speech now about the history of the historical society that denied my membership status back at Cornell. Uh, honey, enough with the fucking camera, all right? Daddy's pontificating. And plates are clattering, and the turkey's now a skeleton, and all the guests have knives in their ears, and they're dead. And she goes, it was the chimney fairies. And he's all, damn it, Sally. How am I going to explain this to the board of directors? And how could these creatures even get in here unnoticed? It's not like this dining room's pitch dark. And she goes, Tom Chick says horror movies don't need to make sense. We need to get out of here. And he's all, simply, that's the last straw. No more podcasts for the rest of the night, young lady. Now go up and take your bath. So Sally, <laughs> he became the old man. All of a sudden. I know. I, it's I regressed to the old man. Wait, transpose that. So Sally takes her bath, but the demons come out of the medicine cabinet, which also has a secret door behind it that somehow goes to the chimney. And the chimney fairies turn off the lights and terrorize her. So she runs away, but luckily there's only one major street in the city, so they pick her up and drive her back. Katie Holmes goes, "Look, dude, we have more shit going on than even your character could possibly explain. Let's get the fuck out of here. Just leave the house." What do you say? He's all, oh, fine, I love you, you're right, but I just don't know what to do. And Sally goes, well, they live in the fireplace, we could just start a fire. That's bright, right? Plus it'll fucking burn their freakish little asses. And he's all, nah, I think the important thing for us is to stay together, because that's how they got picked off an alien. Now I'm going to go to the dark garage and fumble around, because I'm not leaving here without my paperclip chain. That thing took me almost five dinner parties to complete, and I'm a famous architect or something. Sally, you go upstairs and scream in your room to draw their fire. Katie Holmes... 
You go down to the basement and make sure there aren't any booby traps waiting for us on the stairs, just in case we decide to go down there later and hang out. Well, don't just stand there asking logical questions. It's the third act. Get going. So they disperse. There's more acting there, guys. Hope you noticed. So they disperse, and Katie Holmes tricks the chimney dryads by untying a rope they're using to drag Sally slowly toward the chimney flue, and then by tying it around her broken leg and getting sucked down into hell and becoming one of them with her own sexy voice even though they all sound old. So the next morning, the house is being foreclosed on, and her dad's driving Sally to court to face Katie Holmes's relatives and try to explain why all they have left of her is a silver coin and some Polaroids of gremlins flipping the bird of the photographer. <laughs> Sally enters the living room and goes, Hi, Katie Holmes' ghost. Sorry I called you old before. I guess the joke's on me, though, since you're going to be remaining here forever and I'll probably die in a mental institution in a couple decades. I know that in your current condition, you'll probably prefer my teeth which I'd be more than happy to mail you as soon as they fall out of natural causes. But for now, I drew this picture of you getting sucked into a hell gateway with a broken leg. I thought I'd bring back some cool memories. Actually, it looks more like a spiral, since I know how much you love those. But memories of your leg are what the spiral represents. Anyway, TTYN. And Guy Pierce goes, Oh, also, uh, I'm getting back together with Sally's mom, so no hard feelings. And they leave. And the demons ask Katie Holmes, who's now their new leader, how long they'll have to wait before the next child's teeth fest. And she goes, we have all the time in the world, but hopefully Mr. Cratchit's the third has a grandkid, too. The end. <laughs> all right. Very nice, Kelly Wand. <laughs> Didn't have time to edit. So that's like the deleted scenes. Oh, that was I don't have a favorite line from Kelly Wan synopsis because I have a favorite line. What's your favorite line from Kelly Wan synopsis? That's the what end. year is this? It's what year is this? That's my favorite. <laughs> oh, yeah, Polaroid. So uh, it was like a 73 piece, right? No, it was a remake where they felt obligated to incorporate elements from the 1973 movie, including uh, the flashbulb stuff. So I, that's it, that's my theory there. And why bother with the digital camera that everybody could see the images from immediately when you can do a Polaroid that nobody in this world uses? And also, Guy Pierce shaves with a straight razor. What do you guys think of that? Uh, that's what architects do. They live on the edge, as it were. <laughs> Literally. Uh, all right, so, Dingus, how much did you love this remake? Now, we, we have all seen the original this week. Is that correct, Kelly Wan? Did you get a chance to see the original with Kim Darby? I did, and I thought it was awesome. And I also watched uh, Latchkey's Lament, the short film that got Troy Nixie the uh, gig. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you have any particular like utterances or sort of mouth noises you would want to make about Kim Darby? Mm. No, uh, I thought she was so precious. Oh, really? Okay, like with a question mark at the end. All right. Uh, I just thought well, I was more because I, I remember her now from when I was five when I saw the thing. So I was kind of like too nervous for. Her. I don't know. I wasn't thinking along those lines. I was I was kind of hot for the, her friend, though. The Ooh. blonde chick. Yeah. No? Good what? Lord. You're the one who says Sarah Palin's hot, but you wouldn't have nailed the blonde chick? Come on. What's wrong? The blonde chick was just... No, no. That's, that's the, the blonde chick was the worst of the 70s. Kim Darby was the best of the 70s, I would say. As far as, like, I just thought Kim Darby held up. That blonde chick just looked like she was so dated. But Kim Darby had this sort of eternal cuteness about her, I thought. It, it was great for me, seeing the... the well, that's the thing, is I have a little bit of dingus in me, as it were, where it's not Kim Darby super young, so it's kind of hard to to find... I don't know, she's always like a little kid to me. All right, well, that that kind of, I think that... that well, as that blonde chick, I don't know, you can talk the trailer hitch off of Chrome Styles. <laughs> uh, dingus, you got to see the original as well, so we're all on board, right, with having seen the original and the remake. 
Yes. So before we talk about the remake, uh, so Kelly Wan, you said you you liked the original. You thought it, uh, you would say it held up, right? It it, it held, held up, but I mean, we saw it when we were five, so maybe it means more to me. Maybe someone who didn't see it when they were five would just laugh at it. Like no, I, guessing, I would understand that reaction. I'm guessing, <laughs> I'm guessing Dingus is one such person. Dingus, you had not seen the original before, correct? I am one such person. So, Dingus, what is it like going back, watching a 1973 made-for-TV movie? You watched it before you saw the remake, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was that like? Describe for us what that was like. Um, I, I would describe it as a charming experience. <laughs> charming? Really? That's sad. Well, especially for those of us who were traumatized by it. Yeah, what a dick. He's just making fun of us. You, you get traumatized over something so charming, like a barbershop quartet? What what was charming about it, Dingus? Well, first of all, Kim Darby. And I don't. How did you describe her as eternally cute or something? She's got, yeah, this sort of, yeah, I'll go with that. Eternally cute, sort of perennially girlish. How about that? I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I really liked it a lot and then i came to really love it a lot uh i just when i say charming because it's very much um a period piece Uh not just in in the setting but in the way it's put together and thematically i just thought it was i mean i i presume we'll get into what we think the original means because i i have some ideas about it and they're probably pretty stupid and wacky but uh, i got this real feeling about what what it means and what it what the, what that tv movie was trying to say but i just i just loved what it was going for i i just thought the the opening uh, like voiceover st- i mean the o- opening voices were just so goofy and hilarious and um I, I don't know. I just loved how dark it looked. You know, no matter you couldn't tell whether it was day or night. Uh, so I really fell for it. But not, uh, you know, I didn't see it when I was a kid, so it didn't creep me out. And and uh, you know, I, I I'm really interested to hear what you guys think it's about because I'm really excited to talk about that original movie. Now, before we talk about the original, uh, the the remake, I'm going to assume. Did anyone here like the remake? Let's just. I liked it. Know. I liked it a lot. No, Kelly, it one's, Kelly one's pulling our leg. Oh, what? Come on. Okay, okay. You know what? Hold that you know what I'll tell. Well, I think I have solid reasons. Dingus, did you, did you like the remake? I absolutely despised it. Okay. I'm, I'm, so Dingus, it's going to be a, a Dingus and Tom versus Kelly when we get hey. to the remake. But before we do that, let's talk about the original some because I wanted to make sure we all saw that. Like like Kelly Wand, I'd seen it as a kid. Uh, I watched it again a few years ago, and uh, we all watched this copy of it that I had here. So we've all sent, recently seen the original. Let's let's talk a bit about that. Uh, I agree with Dingus. It's, it's dated. I, I, it's kind of funny how you can see where the commercial breaks are. Yeah. It was a, an ABC TV, made-for-TV uh. movie back when they used to do these things. Uh, I'm reminded of there were a couple of other made-for-TV horror movies from that period, including one that I think I've talked about on this podcast about killer ants crawling all over Suzanne Summers, called something like Incident at Lake blah, blah, blah. Uh, there's this one about Bermuda Triangle that I saw where these uh, these helicopter pilots come across an abandoned sailboat and there's a body floating in midair underneath the deck. Uh, so I've, I've gone back and watched some of these these made-for-TV movies that creeped me out as a child, and mainly they're terrible and they're stupid, but I really think that the original Don't Be Afraid of the Dark has some very cool stuff going on, despite the format. Uh, the format can be charming, um, but overall I quite like it. Uh, 
So before yeah. we, we get into the remake, uh, Kelly Wand, how did – and I, I do think it holds up as well. I think it's very well written. I really like Kim Darby. I, I like – I think it does some things that, that most modern horror movies don't do that I want to talk about in a minute. Uh, but Kelly Wand, overall, what was it like for you rewatching the original? Uh, it was kind of closure because the, when I first saw it, I didn't watch the whole thing. and I don't think I even saw what they looked like. So in my mind, they were just invisible. Because you were scared, you mean, or just you, you'd only seen part of the movie as a kid? Like I was going to bed, my mom was watching the living room. I go, what, what's, and then I saw them knock the ashtray over, and I'm all, what knocked it over? And she goes, little people. And I'm like, fuck that! And it was like the first childhood trauma. Like, I'm an insomniac now, I think, because of that moment. Like, I just came in, like, I could have missed the ashtray, and that's the cheapest, stupidest thing in that movie. Like, watching it the other night, I'm like, oh, some dude with a hook hiding behind that bureau and just knocking it over. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't even have the texture of where they're. Tr- you see them in their little suits pushing gig- giant ashtrays around later, like the borrowers. Once you see them, it's not scary. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's uh, why you guys hate the new one. How great is it to see an ashtray? Yeah, I know. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, you hear it break too, so that's. It's just the idea of somebody having an ashtray next to their bed in a modern. It was. Room. It was also the idea that the next scene is her telling her husband, "Dude, the hus- the ashtray." And so I, the first thing I thought was, "Wait, she stayed there the rest of the night in the room with these giggling voices." Like that to me was like, "Oh, so that's what being a, a grown up is. That's what being an adult is. You hear little titty voices, and then they tip over an ashtray, and then you." Uh, you just go back to sleep. You suck <laughs> like it up. Yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> I'm out at survive the dawn. Eh. But also, so I didn't see the ending, so I got to appreciate. It's a really cool a third act because it looks like she's gonna get rescued. Right. You don't know it's coming. Um, and she's get and the flash cube thing is so hokey, and the way it's introduced and set up is so hokey. You go, oh, I see that what's gonna happen. She's between her resourcefulness and the uh, the last second, and the husband's a super dick to her through the whole movie. We'll get. <laughs> Do you think? Yeah, all- I mean, it doesn't quite like he's not. For me, it's uh, very much. It's very much. <laughs> I mean, you think he like I, I don't think he's that mean. I mean, he obviously I think the, the movie is about a woman's place next to an overachieving man. And in that time period, that's a that's a pretty relevant subject, uh, I, I think. The, the 1973, you know, women, uh, the, the lot of a woman in this sort of white middle class family is very different than, than I think what it is now. And, and part of my fascination with the remake, even though I hated it, is how it decides to shift that, that you know, what kind of social unit it's going to talk about. Uh, but I loved seeing, as a period piece, that this movie was kind of about the anxiety of a woman in that situation. Right. And I didn't think he was necessarily a dick to her. I just thought he was acting towards, like, like she was kind of hysterical in a literal sense of the word she was just like a woman who was panicky and he was dealing with it as best as he could he loved her he didn't neglect her he wasn't abusive to her like he wasn't mean necessarily no she's mean when and she's not always hysterical she's like trying to like kind of reason it like this look even if it's either i'm either i'm crazy or something's going on that i that we that i can't explain and he's like super patronizing about it like your timing sucks i got the big meeting coming up i got the dinner party like, he doesn't worry for her. He doesn't seem concerned till the end. And also, she spent another cool thing about it. She's she's so powerless. She's powerless in this. Like, she spends the whole last half hour in a stupor because her coffee's been drugged. Right. So right. she's like in this catatonic. <laughs> I love that you 
I like that you bring up the word powerless because I think of these as the difference between powerless and helplessness. Um, and for me, this that that first movie is is really about feminism, <laughs> and yeah. and and it's not. I mean, it's not just dismissive about her. It's it's you know just the way like when when after she's had that first debate with Mr. Harris and the husband comes in right. and they they just say what the debate was and the husband goes I agree with him. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. like it's a man's world. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> we got this under control. <laughs> But that's the thing is I really do feel it's it's not so much that he's being a dick to her. It's just it's it's a sign of the times. You know, that's that was a war's right. lot back then. Uh, yeah, I, think that, I think it's about about that, how where that's going. I mean, Joan makes a couple of little glib remarks about women's lib and being afraid of mice and and then saying, well, you know, we're the we're women that are married to ambitious husbands. Let's go spend their money. Um, so there's there's I think there's little hints about where where women's power is going to go but this is sort of about how that isn't there yet and that's why i think it's so great right so Dingus, uh, go ahead i was just going to say it's like it, it came rosemary's baby was 68 and so it's, it's kind of a similar thing exactly right it's right through the door though okay go ahead um but a very different approach to rosemary's baby though is rosemary's baby is all about you know there's there's something oddly kind of like religious about rosemary's baby and the nature of evil and satan and all that stuff whereas this is really like i don't even know what those things are supposed to be in the original uh you know the the weird masks that they have on i don't know what that is they look kind of like little apes you know I, i think those might be midgets in those costumes i can't be sure uh but i have no idea what's going on like it's got this weird the the three creatures there's only three of them i kind of like that about it too is there's no real frame of reference for what these are supposed to be. They don't look like fairies. They look like uh-huh. tiny baby gorillas, but their faces, <laughs> they don't quite look like skulls. I have no idea what's going on. It's not, it doesn't seem derivative of anything. Uh, and I love that about it. I, I just love how odd those little things are. Yeah. And I think that's, it, the, the voice acting's like that too. It, it helps that. Because they, they sound like they're really into their roles, those guys, that one guy. They sound like middle aged demons, kind of. It's yeah. It's no. It, it's not like a, a standard. Yeah, it's not like. Just scare. Just scare. Just scare. <laughs> right. Well, the movie also messes up on their scale sometimes, which is really great. I mean, there's a moment where they're hiding behind books, and suddenly their heads are as big as like the binding. Yeah, yeah. Book. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, and this was one of the things that I thought was really charming. You know, they build this the oversized sets, and they they actually do some really cool like perspective tricks. There's one point, one of my favorite shots from the movie is where the flashlight has fallen down, and it's in the foreground, and you see one of the creatures like reaching up towards the flashlight in the background and the flashlight's big and looming and the, the little midget in the suit or whatever is standing farther back but they, they do some really cool like perspective tricks that aren't you know that these days would and do get glossed over with cg stuff uh that i really kind of enjoyed watching uh it made me think like i wonder how movies like the incredible shrinking man hold up i don't know if they do uh but yeah, I, I that like- one well, I like seeing that kind of like practical effects again. It's kind of refreshing yeah. to, to see those sometimes. Uh, and it was also they don't skimp on showing you those the demons either. I mean, right. I didn't. It's like they could just show you way less and go the Jaws route, but I don't know. They actually do look creepy considering. 
Well, they they do scary like like quick cuts and you know zooming in on their faces and I mean they they get the maximum use out of uh, you know how to roll them out and they do roll them out early. Like yeah. there's none of this. Is she imagining that stuff? I you know there's weird little yeah. things in there. They come out, they reveal themselves, and the movie's off and running. Like I, I like that about it. Uh, that and is they, something I really love about it too. That you you know right pretty pretty soon that it's not in her head. I really like that. Yeah. And they're also very extremely confident about their victory chances. Like, they're really cocky. And it all goes their way. Like, okay, we'll cut the power, drug her coffee. We can put a razor up there. It'll take her at least 24 hours to evacuate the building. So we'll just fuck with her more. They'll, she'll act more hysterical, putting the drug in her coffee bees. It's like they got it all planned out. They're, well, they, and they're so malicious. This, I want to yeah. hurt her. I want to hurt her. That's like yeah. a weird, disconcerting thing. You yeah. know, it's not that they just want to drag her to hell because it's that's a primal what malice. Primal yeah. malice. Yeah, absolutely. Like age old, ancient. And the, and the delivery is just like, I don't know. <laughs> Speaking, by the way, of primal malice, how about those outfits? Holy cats, they're clothes. Do you guys remember what she wore at that party? Uh, Come on, so, that dress? Sorry, really? Look at the blonde one. Kim, Kim Darby's dress. I mean, you want to talk about abusive relationships. That dress that poor Kim Darby had to wear at the party in the original Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Oh, my God. I think that went with the character. <laughs> I just felt all, awful. All I could honestly focus on at the party were the bit players. And how awful they were, and I just loved that so much. Uh, there's one in particular. There's a moment where this woman sort of comes out of the shadows and asks her about the designer, and uh, and Kim Darby says, "Oh, it's Perez, Perez Hilton or whoever it is." And the woman goes, "I should use him." Turns around and walks away. I mean, there's no. It's it's clear her direction has been give his give the line, turn around, go to your next place. It's a very it's a very Garth Marenghi's dark place kind of style. Yeah. Uh, very nice, Tom. Very nice. That's exactly what it is. Uh, so I think the point of Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, the original, is at one point when uh, the handyman is talking to Kim Darby and he says, you shouldn't have opened it up, Mrs. Farnham. Like that's kind of it's a horror movie about a woman who does not accept her place and insists on opening doors that men have told her not to open. And thing is, you say it's about feminism. I, I kind of agree. It's this sort of tale about, uh, you, you know, it's almost like a feminist nightmare. Like here's yeah. what happens to girls who don't listen to yeah. the men in their lives. Stay out of the toolbox. You might <laughs> open up the <laughs> right. Uh, might get uh, hurt. Be trying so. to clean out the gutters yourself. Oh, All right, no. so, uh, oh, God, they're calling you. They are calling Why? you. They've Why? learned how to use the phone. <laughs> Why? Why? Uh, I think that was your while. while. I think that was it's your while. while. <laughs> Talk over it. Pretend it's not happening. It's like sex. <laughs> what? what? That's, that's, Kelly, one, that's close your eyes and think of England. So, um, Tom, you don't like uh, the woman who played Joan, but I love her character. No, I like her character, but as far as like on a on a dude locker room level about oh, isn't she hot? I did not think she was hot at all. That to me, yeah, yeah. she was like the nightmare of the set. This is like oh god, I'm glad the seventies are over. That's what I think when I see that woman, Kim Darby. Though I do think, despite her the wretched clothes that she has to wear, I think Kim Darby is just adorable. Uh, and sure, she, she's adorable. Yeah. She, she's great in the role too. You know, playing that part of you know the young wife who. As getting in over her head and is is uh, opening doors she shouldn't open and is a little confused and in doubt about it. Uh, right. Yeah. 
I was too distracted by the plot to think about such carnal things, Tom. <laughs> Until the blonde woman comes on, you're saying. Oh, yeah, then I got to yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, All right, well, let's fast forward then. Ah. How do you guys feel? Uh, and Kelly Wan, I want you to go, to go first because you were on record as saying you didn't loathe this remake. How did you feel about the changes that they made for the remake? I think it's... Uh... I agree with what you're going to say, which is having a kid <laughs> instead of a woman is way lamer in a lot of ways. And, and for me, it's especially because I know nothing's going to happen to her. So it's like a wasted opportunity. Well, as if an adult's going batshit thinking they're seeing Jimmy Foo's like anybody's fair game. And they are in the original. But the kid I know is going to make it. And then I can smell the direction, the story arc, because everything's going to Katie Holmes. Want to be a mother? Doesn't know. Guy Pierce is an idiot. I liked, and I liked Guy Pierce's acting too. He's the buffoon character. I thought he he was a nice uh, bookend to the dumbass who looked like Eric Bogosian in the first one, the TV movie. But also the production design of Three by Three. You see, I loved that house. I loved looking at it. It was like if mm-hmm. the haunting had been scary. Usually, it's hard to be scary in like a sumptuous setting, but. I don't know. It's like they spent so much time in that fucking basement. It, it seemed to me the house was just so Guillermo del Toro production design. Part of what I like about the original, and I, I think not liking the remake isn't entirely because of the changes. I disliked so many of the changes, and one of the changes I disliked is it's not a relatable house. Like the original, it's just a normal house anybody could live in. This is uh. a freaking gothic mansion, and it's not part of the everyday experience i mean as far as like being a relatable experience the fact that they set it to this historical society remodeling this house that this guy's remodeling and they even show us its prehistory i I, for me that just felt like a tactical error you know know, it becomes this guillermo de toro fairy movie um so while while i did like the house the the note i actually wrote to myself when we first see the house is isn't this a bit much (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it looked great, and especially that garden looked fantastic, but uh, it – I just – I saw it, it in Pan's Labyrinth three years ago. Give me something. Yeah, it, it was a little it much. It is. It's totally Pan's Labyrinth light, that garden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's also too – it's also too lush and pretty to stay in long, so she scampers past it into dark, dusty hell holes that are more what we're about. The basement, you mean? Yeah. Uh, All right, yeah. so, Dingus, so, uh, uh, what for you? So Kelly Wand is okay, even though, Kelly, you said it sort of lowered the stakes. You know nothing bad is going to happen to the girl. Uh, Dingus, how did you feel about that, that main shift? Like, instead of making it about a housewife, making it about the, the daughter? I think you know exactly what I'm going to say. So I agree with what I'm going to say. Hmm. I disagree with Dingus. Um, Kelly used lame. I would use a different word that also starts with L, and I think it's just a lazy choice. Uh, it's it's uh, simple and obvious. How do we? What's the what? How do we get the most uh, uptick in scariness with the least that we have to do for it? Well, let's just swap out the woman and make her a kid, uh, and put a kid in danger. Uh, but she, like Kelly said, she's never really going to be in danger. And then we strip away all of these interesting um, other things that, that the first movie is talking about. And and, in, and also, we're not even going to layer in any of the sort of um, coming of age or budding woman sexuality that we have in Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, 
we're just going to have this this wide-eyed kid screaming in the dark uh, because her parents are divorced. And it's just pat and simple and, I think, lazy just to put a kid in danger and just throw her out there and constantly okay. leave her along. And nobody's ever looking after this poor kid. Now, let me let me so, jump in. I, oh, go, go ahead. Go. No, go I, ahead. I just I want to disagree with you saying that it's lazy because uh, I, I definitely agree that the execution is lazy. But I don't think the idea had to be lazy because, as I, as I think I mentioned before, in 73, uh, a significant – Social factor was the the woman subsuming herself to her husband's wife. Like that was something that people dealt with in '73. It was part of this growing awareness of the social structure, and and it was relevant. I think in 2011, this theme of you know the 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 child of the parents split up. Like if we're going to make a movie about little talking creatures and it's going to play on a contemporary anxiety, I think that's a great anxiety to play on. You know, the child of the split household, the the mother, you know, the stepmother trying to fit in, the father trying to balance his work. Like, I, I think it had potential. And in fact, you mentioned Pan's Labyrinth. I don't mind that it doesn't deal with budding sexuality, which is a, the Alice in Wonderland kind of thing, because I felt like Bailey Madison was sufficiently young enough where I didn't care that that was missing. But oddly enough, and it's hard not to think of Pan's Labyrinth, Pan's Labyrinth did all of that so much better. You know, Pan's Labyrinth, set in the Spanish Civil War, is so much about that contemporary anxiety about a, a new father, you know, a stepfather, the, you know, the, the, the child of a, of a single parent. Pan's Labyrinth was so richly about that, uh, even though it was a historical uh, story. So while I, I disagree with the idea of being lazy, Dingus, I agree that the execution with la- was lazy, but I, I can imagine somebody selling this twist if, if a better movie had been made out of it. Uh, and and I, I don't feel that they really appreciated quite what they had. Uh, and oddly enough, they were often just too straight-jacketed to just doing stuff from the original uh, and doing stuff like Pan's Labyrinth. Like Guillermo del Toro's fingerprints were all over this thing. Right. Um, I don't know that well, they the improved that, on the original. Sorry, go on. <laughs> oh, they certainly didn't. And, and that, you know, I understand what you're saying, Tom. But but Kelly's my favorite line from Kelly's synopsis stand is stands as far as what year is this? Because this that those those tropes of the the kid who's in split homes and has to fly alone on a plane and mm-hmm. and and we're on different coasts and it's the wicked stepmother. Or, or the wicked uh, step monster, or whatever you want to call her, that she feels like that. This isn't new, and they don't do anything with it. It just feels right. like those are those are trappings, and we're, we just want to put a kid in danger because that ups the ante. That's what it felt like to me. Who I agree with Kelly never felt like there was any danger. I mean, I as it was coming along and they were dragging little Bailey Madison towards the fireplace entrance, I was uh, like, I did not for a minute think it was going to have the same ending as as the original. Don't be afraid of the dark. Uh, as a matter of fact, so Kelly Wan, you, you talked about you could see exactly where it was going. Like, did you know this was going to be about Katie Holmes discovering her her maternal instinct and sacrificing herself for the little girl? Like, is that even part of what you were talking about? That I liked or that I didn't like? That you could see coming, like you, you mentioned. Yeah, I, but I, hang on. it's like uh, I saw a lot of things coming, but I just kind of tuned them out because I kind of had good vibes from seeing the TV movie a couple nights before. It's like, yeah, right, new, new, impressive thing to look at so and i only saw it tonight so maybe by tomorrow i'll, I'll <laughs> that's so. no excuse kelly what an idiot i am no no i know but you you go into movies with certain expectations and i knew i knew from the trailers it was about a little girl and i just had to like 
Okay, shelve that. I hate it. Dumb. Tom will be right. Tom will pound me on the podcast. Whatever. Done. <laughs> but then, uh, I don't know. I liked that house. It was, it's not, it's not lazy. It's more, uh, what's that guy who paints the same thing every time? That it's always good. Who am I thinking of? Bailey Madison? Yeah, Bailey Madison. <laughs> Bailey, Bailey Madison. Happy Madison. You know, uh, oh. her um, character name is Kim, by the way. Katie Holmes's character name is Kim. Oh, Kim, because they, they, they preserved the Sally. Because the little things whispering Sally, of course, is borderline yeah. iconic for those of us who remember it. But I didn't catch the, the Kim. Very good, Dingus. You know, I know we're not talking about this other film, uh, but I would I would like to just bring it up real quick, uh, because after I saw um, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, I had a little time, so I went ahead and went to see another movie that very same night. Haha, ha, you saw Fright Night. That's absolutely true. I saw Fright Night. Ah. Uh, and that was uh. so I saw two remakes. And, uh, uh. Tom, what you said about the house is absolutely spot on, because I loved the way the remake of Fright Night was set in these little... Uh, box houses that are completely without any sort of distinguishing features from one another and I, I really loved the horror and the and the goofiness that, that comes out of that uh, as opposed to how you just get distracted by how beautiful the floors and the furniture look in the in the architectural digest home that they've been renovating forever but we haven't found the basement somehow uh, in, um, It's because it's three acres uh, away under the stables Yes, exactly. It's He's not. It's not like he knows anything about. Oh wait, architecture. Never mind. <laughs> no, ding it. It's so obvious. It's a whole separate soundstage where they're shooting that part. There's no reason they would have found it. You see, you know, Dingus, your Fright Night thing is actually very well put. I, I wasn't a huge fan of the remake of Fright Night, but what I did love about Fright Night is the things that it felt the need to change. It changed for a reason, and it, it did some clever updates. I liked how it was set outside Las Vegas. I like how it played on this idea of these these uh, suburban developments around Las Vegas. I like what they did with the Peter Vincent character instead of being an English host for a, a late-night TV show. Uh, he's a, a Vegas showman. You, you know, they, they did some cool update stuff with Fright Night that I wish we'd seen more of in Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. You, you know, the stuff that was updated I thought was poorly realized and, and poorly executed. And the stuff they didn't update, I don't understand why. Again, the Polaroid camera, instead of just dealing with what we have now, the technology we have now, why not? I mean, why not deal with the things we have now? So I love about the Polaroid camera, by the way, that those little strips with the flash bulbs, they've got like five bulbs up there. Right. So you pop that thing off like about, th- it's like somebody who has a gun in a movie yeah. and fires, you know, a hundred shots without changing the clip. You know, she was just popping those things off right and left as if the director was hoping that nobody watching the movie knows how those things work. <laughs> yeah, I decided they were, she had a, like a double, they, it's a double-sided flash. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> Um, and I love that the creatures suddenly have this knowledge of film technology and decide to rip apart the picture. Okay, here's here's one of my problems. With this movie. <laughs> let's, let's talk about this. I adored those little creatures. I thought they were absolutely precious. And yeah. I every time they were on screen, I was just like, yeah, I wanted to clap for them. They were so cute. And I love the way they run around. And even when they tried to sort of like I love their little glowing eyes. And I love the fact that the dude wanted the picture to rip it up. I didn't care that none of it made any sense at that point. <laughs> I just wanted to watch these cute little CG creatures because I thought they were freaking adorable. And it kind of ran counter to, I think, what the movie was going for. 
But, you know, there's a there's a one overhead shot where you see him like run, running for the bed. They're, they were like kind of like half cats, half rats. They were like monkeys. The, the person I saw it with actually described them as I wrote this down. Uh, Reese's monkeys with delusions of grandeur. <laughs> but, but they were cuter than Reese's monkeys. I mean, you know, Rise of the Apes was awesome monkeys. And these guys were those were monkeys. These guys, whatever they were, I just thought they were way, way, way too cute and adorable. Uh they're, they were kind of like, wasn't in Hellboy 2, didn't they have those little things called the Tooth Fairies that were these little creatures that you had to keep yep. your mouth shut? Ah, I didn't see that, but that's, again, another Guillermo del Toro thing. Del Toro thing, yeah. So he has like two ideas ever. <laughs> I could just do without, I could do without this constant uh, repeated shot of when we get close, that, <sighs> that, yeah. You know they're so cute and and their their motivation should be to lure you in, but at the last second they're just going to go, and we're going to get that shot of their open mouth just right at the camera. I'm yeah. so sick of that. I didn't need any of that either. But they were just so cute otherwise. Uh, and I do and, love. Go ahead. And they had hunchbacks. No, I'm just saying that there's a huge missed opportunity because of what you are saying and the seductive quality of those creatures or the cuteness quality that they they by this time could be able to play upon in that bathtub scene i mean there's there's a there's a whole area that that could have happened where they're where they're luring her in in some way instead of just like climbing on the curtains and ripping them all up complete with a shot from psycho by the way i don't i don't know what he thinks he's getting away with showing the curtain the shower curtain being pulled off of the rings i'm like do you really what i didn't know by the way how is nobody looking after this Child, I this know. Ever. This, yeah, this, alone in this gigantic yeah. house. Oh, Not only that, Dingus, this movie yeah. is full of people who take their dear sweet time when they hear a screaming child. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, and it, wow, is someone shrieking. Is that a shrieking child? I guess we'll go in there and take a look and see. What I that quality grew on me. It started seeming funnier to me, and it's just like they're they're idiots. These are dumbasses versus the demons. It's like it, in this corner you have a little girl who knows how to operate a camera, and she's resourceful, but she's a kid and with who's popping pills. And then you have the two dumbest adults ever, and their fucking maid who is either in the house or not at the end. I couldn't tell what happened to her. And all these murder, there's like murders going on. Like, okay, there's a guy with knives and scissors in him. Who caused that? It's an accident. I love that. I love how they. Yeah. I mean, it's full of plot holes like that, which I might be. Let's get the dinner party on. It's all coming up. Which I might be tempted to forgive if I, I liked the movie more. But I, the, the plot hole, like when when during the dinner party, she smushes one of the demons in the bookshelf. Right. And then the guests burst in. I'm like, well, of course you point to the corpse of this little crushed creature. I mean, that, how stupid is the movie to not think we're not thinking that at that point? You know, the, the little girl is traumatized and she's freaking out and maybe they, she doesn't have the picture. But come on, we just saw her smashing one of them. And the library has been destroyed. Right, right, right. Uh, come true. Down from the ceiling. And they yeah. just, oh, we'll just put her in bed and I'll go out to the I know. Yeah, way higher than she could reach, even with a ladder. Exactly. What I wanted to mention before is because they were so cute and because I was so endeared to these things and they had so much personality, I, I... I really I would have loved to have seen a movie about these things being actually malicious. Like I didn't get that the sense of 
the, the creatures in the original Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, where Kim Darby is taking a shower and one of them is going, I want to hurt her, I want to hurt her. That sense of malice, there was nothing approaching that here. These guys had so much character, and yet they were so incredibly toothless, partly because the movie just you knew nothing was going to happen because it was a little girl. Little girl, uh, yeah. But and and the, what I want to contrast it to another movie that has similarly charming creatures, and these creatures have their own folklore and they have so much personality, and there's not necessarily a sense of malice, but there's a sense that they can do damage and power, and you know that they're creatures. Uh, there, there's a, a Norwegian kind of horror movie called the Troll Troll Hunter Troll Hunters. What is it? Ah, uh, that looks good. It is good. That. And the trolls. The troll hunter, yeah. Troll hunter, right. And the trolls in that, like, I, it makes such great use of its creatures. You know, it's got fantastic creature design, and it really puts them in the context of a story and an ecology, and it gives them meaning and it varies them. I wish these little guys had gotten a movie like Troll Hunter. You know, I wish they'd even gotten a movie like the original. Don't be afraid of the dark. I would have loved to have seen them being actually malicious and doing mean, terrible things instead of devolving, devolving into these like gremlin fights. You know, this really was a post Joe Dante horror movie about little tiny creatures. Uh, mm. you, you know, Gremlins sort of was the last movie. I, I guess in Gremlins they kind of maybe were threatening, but then there were all those Critters movies and like little tiny creatures and, and uh, the Toy Dolls movies where they became borderline like slasher movie things, but they were still Chucky? comedy. No, they were uh, like Toy Dolls about the, what is it called? The, the Charles Band. What's his film company? The uh, You know, these Charles Band movies about little, no, they're about toy dolls. Is it called the Dolls? What? Oh, is this the Full Moon or whatever? Yeah, 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 yeah. Full Moon is his his, his production. Company. Puppet Master. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Exactly, Puppet Master. Right. Taps uh, in your fear of wooden those, things that strange. All of these movies are so playful. They're like comedies instead. Uh, you know, and, and Chucky's a perfect example. Kelly Wand. Uh, you, you know, I wish that we could see something where these things have malice, where they actually threaten characters that we care about. Uh, because. there's... I, I, I just think there's, you know, that's the original mythological perception of these things is that they aren't friendly little things. They're they're really malevolent. They live out there. We don't see them and they function by these weird separate rules and do terrible things. But the Vatican sign a contract with them. So we do interact with them. Yeah, Pope there's Sylvester. paperwork. Pope Sylvester. Right. The they third. also presumably understand that uh, understand how to work on her communication wise. They understand that they can tell I, her they don't love you. Sally's not angry. They can communicate and we never see that happen. I, I mean instead what we see is her going under the covers and this creature screaming at her. <laughs> instead of the creature coming in and, and because she wants to be loved, she's she's accepting of them immediately. Like the first Sally, one of the charming things about the original for me is is just how calmly Sally accepts her fate and accepts that this is real. They pull on her dress and and then she's trying to work out how do I convince everybody else based on the fact that I know this is real and then Joan believes it's real. Right. And in this one, uh, little Sally believes it's real and wants them to She's looking for that. She needs that. And why can't, like you said, Tom, they use that their in, their innate malevolence and their ability to communicate, which we know they can do, instead of just screeching all the time. And maybe that's how they communicate. They're like bats. They talk. Well, and, oh. and and contrast that, by the way, with the the fawn in Pan's Labyrinth. 
You know, that's exactly, there's this sense of seduction where he's appealing to uh, Ophelia. He's like, you know, the way the fawn seduces Ophelia, you know, I, if you want to make your story about the insecurity that a child has in this new family structure, that kind of seduction should be part of it. And you're right, Ding. It's the fact that they know how to appeal to her, and that goes nowhere. You know, they're still willing, by the way, to poke out somebody's eyeball through a keyhole, which the moment that happens, they've they've revealed yeah. themselves to an adult, and it's going to be a completely different story. Uh, you know, I just thought that was so stupid. Oh, it was no, it's that's right. Guy Pierce is listening at the vent, and they're trying to stick a needle in his ear, which will completely derail the course that Their this plan. movie is supposed to take. Yeah, I mean, it, it was all just. You know what, Dingus? I'm going to agree with you on lazy. I'm I'm on board with Dingus's assessment that it's lazy. Wait, wait. I saw that as them knowing he was going to pull his head back, and they're fucking with us. Oh, very clever. Filmmakers or trolls, whatever they're fucking called. Do you guys know of a movie called Photographing Fairies? Uh, with Harvey Keitel I, and uh, who, who's the main dude in it? Mark. Not Mark I've been in Times Square. That's what you're asking. So there's a movie called Photographing Fairies that I think is a BBC movie, and it's about uh, this this fairy hoax, this hoax in the early days of photography where there are these posed pictures of of little girls. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what you're talking about. So there are actually a couple of movies about this, and I I might be screwing up. Is it the Harvey Keitel one? Anyway, there's one where it's it's taken for it's real and one where it's hoaxy. Right, the one where it's real is called Photographing Fairies, and there is the sense of these weird little creatures who have their own logic, their own world, and there is a little bit of malevolence involved that I really like. Uh, I I think Photographing Fairies is 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 what I would have would have hoped a remake of Don't Look Now would have been more like. Uh, So I, I recommend that. Let's talk briefly about Bailey Madison, Katie Holmes. Guy Pierce, Kelly Wand, you said you liked Guy Pierce's acting in this. I liked all three of them. I thought they were all good. I think Katie Holmes. I know she she seems to take a lot of flack for for like being the worst thing about Batman Begins, but she has a certain beauty to her that I kind of like seeing blown up and stuff. <laughs> like it's it's kind of tragic. More. She has okay. that kind of. So you're the Katie Holmes dark defender. sadness. Yes. I, 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 I thought she was terrible, uh, and I wasn't that fond of poor little Bailey Madison, who was actually Aww. really, really good in uh, Brothers, which the remake of the Danish movie with uh, with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal Jake. and uh, Spider-Man, Tobey yeah. Maguire. Yeah, she was the little daughter, not the really cute, precocious one, but the sulky, upset one who wouldn't accept uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in Brothers. Uh, and she basically, I kind of. I kind of felt like she just had one note, and I mean, she was. Yeah, but that's not her pain, fault. But... Not her fault. Okay, I, I agree. And and I really was so taken aback by how much she looked like Katie Holmes. I, I that was weird to me. What are you talking about? They're both brunettes. They all look the same. Racist. I guess so. Dingus, yeah, have you? They didn't have the same color eyes. What are, oh what my are god, you, they were so similar. No, when it, when it, when when we first You're see creepy, her, dude. No, I thought I was. The- when you first see her, I was sure she was going to be like Katie Holmes' actual daughter, like in the movie. And when you find out Katie Holmes is a stepmother, I was like, wait a minute, that's weird. Is anyone going to comment on how much they look alike? Or And no one see, did. You guys will call that laziness, and I call it genius. <laughs> like all laziness. <laughs> uh, Dingus, what did you feel about Bailey Madison? I felt really horrible for her. Oh. Uh, I can't, I can't talk bad about her, but uh, I felt horrible for her. I just felt like all she could do was the same thing over and over again. And then, and 
this is just my own personal baggage. When you look at her IMDb, she she's worked so much this year, last year, and the year before. I'm just wondering what's going on with this child's life. I mean, she worked. She's got an enormous amount of credits for somebody this age, and and this doesn't give her a lot to do, and it doesn't seem like she has to do a lot other than have the same look over and over again. But, you know, I I just don't think anybody – I don't know that I'm going to criticize Katie Holmes or Guy Pierce. It just seems like the screenwriters have given them lines like, I feel like I have no idea what to do, and, and there's <laughs> That's nothing that you can do with that. It's just – I, I – how about that that speech about the koi, about the goldfish? Wasn't that moving? Why didn't we introduce that and it goes nowhere? I yeah. really thought I thought we like were going to see some topiary in the Shining, and we're not going to go back to the topiary. Yeah, I, I thought we were going to get some half-eaten fish at least. <laughs> you go back to the topiary. Uh, well, of wait. course you do because you introduced it. You can't have a whole speech about koi and then just like that was just about koi. I think I think they were inspired by the speech about catfish in the movie Catfish. Ah, uh, uh, that's, that's what I went back to. You're not allowed uh, to say that word anymore. Catfish? Yeah. Ah, da, 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 da. <laughs> All right. Don't whatever happens, don't let anyone tell you about it. That's the tagline for Catfish. The otherwise you don't want to see it because they'll go. Well, it's Tom, how did you? Feel? I mean, you said that you didn't like Katie Holmes or. Did you like any I, of the actors in this? No, or? no, absolutely not. Poor guy Pierce. I, I oh. thought would, I just they didn't give him. A, he basically was uh, doing his King's Speech character. Uh, Katie Holmes, I just thought was awful, and she had the just the worst stuff to do with like her character development, uh, and just the poor little girl. I mean, you know, yeah, no, I thought they were all terrible. You guys are dicks. <laughs> we're also, like, uh, in the original, don't be afraid of the dark. It's all bullshit. Shut up. Go get me my margarita scotch and soda. <laughs> well, it's, I, you know, you mentioned that that garden, and there was some. I, you know, I liked that garden set. I loved the creature design. I liked how they seemed like they were going to tie into this idea of the tooth fairy, but they just kind of dropped that. At one point, she's standing in the middle of a toadstool ring, which was uh, a little touch that they completely ignored. They did nothing. Yeah, and then he breaks it. He he breaks. Oh, he's let out the key. He's broken the toadstool circle. But nobody gonna... nobody comments on that. Are we supposed to know that this is like a something of the fairy? Like I could just imagine the average viewer seeing that, and I, you know what? Maybe that's maybe that's that the is lazy. Thing this is great. But you know what? Maybe that's the movie just assuming that we know some fairy lore. You know, maybe it's 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 refusing to dumb itself down and explain it. Which you know what? <laughs> the fact that by the way, the exposition scenes were so horrible, and it is such it is so terrible. By the way, if you were going to intercut your exposition scene with a potentially awesome set piece like that bathroom scene, that shows. That says to me that you don't have confidence in either one of those scenes. Uh, I mean, it's sort of like they didn't know what to do. They couldn't let the bathroom scene stand alone. They knew the exposition was so boring. It, it made both scenes even more insufferable. Uh, and I also, you know, that the bathroom scene was a great part of the original movie. And I don't it just having having so many of these things was kind of like overkill. I liked in the original that there were only three. The fact here that there must have been hundreds of them. You know, it was more like Willard. Almost like these. Uh, nice. Uh, I, I just didn't get what we. It's not you know they're not scary enough to wear three of them. So we're gonna make there be a hundred of them. Uh, so when they're all crawling all over the shower curtain, I just uh, you know it was just like throwing stuff at screen uh, at the screen. You know throwing CG up there. Uh, and is there anything in the original that is that one life for a life thing that gets thrown into the remake? 
No, they don't need to explain stuff in the original, which I love, you know, and the original even has holes. Like there's a point where the old man in the original goes down in the basement and he's like, I swear I didn't tell them. I didn't tell them. And then later the old man is confessing to the husband what he knows, but he doesn't say anything about, yeah, I've actually talked to them and they said, don't tell. You know, you, you don't, you get the sense that there's more of a relationship there. And then later on, he either doesn't say more about the relationship or he's only telling the husband certain things or like there's stuff that's either, that's not a hole, though. That's just maybe well, that's what I'm character. saying. It's either inconsistent or it's the character lying, and I like that tension. Like I, I kind of think that kind of plot hole can work. Uh, whereas here, stuff like you know, the creatures can close big, heavy doors. You know what? What was going on with that? And and they can yank Katie Holmes's legs apart at the femur. You know, they can snap her leg bones. Like here, stuff. You know. And- they just wanted a cool visual of a heavy door slamming shut. They didn't care about the fact that up until now we've seen these creatures actually limited by their size. Uh, and and Katie Holmes is a ghost at the end, even though they're not ghosts. Like she's incorporeal. Sucking well, that's wind, that's yeah. also from the original, by the way. Is Kim Darby is one of the voices at the end of the original? There's this idea yeah. that they're not just killing her; that this is them converting people. Uh, you, you know, Dingus's thing about a life for a life is this idea that they're demons that just want a human sacrifice. But the idea at the end of the original is that this is what happened to Kim Darby's what grandmother. But like that, these these three yeah. people are had been previously terrorized, and they're the ones. Those are her grand right, right, like Phantasm, <laughs> also crushed down. Yep, like exactly. Phantasm. And also with little scary creatures. Those things are malicious. The little Jawas and Phantasm, by God. Yeah, but you can shoot them if you got the special four-barrel run. That's true. Yes, yes. Uh, so, my you, how, how much did you love that uh, scene with uh, Bailey Madison and the psychiatrist? Oh, I was about to ask. I was about to say. Okay, here's you a Bob Balaban joke. <laughs> okay, do your Bob Balaban. Well, real quick, before you do your Bob Balaban joke, here's... That scene done right. I don't recommend this movie, but there's a movie with Renee Zellweger called Case 39 in which uh, Jodell Furland, who's the little girl from Tideland, and she was in the Silent Hill movie, uh, she is maybe or maybe not possessed by the devil. She's like one – it's one of those like evil child movies, like Orphan. Case 39 isn't good though, but Jodell Furland, she's like the kid, and she's being interviewed by a psychiatrist, a child psychiatrist played by Bradley Cooper. So it is a great two-person scene between Joe Del Furlan and Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper thinking he has the upper hand, and she completely turns it around on him. Uh, it's I, I don't recommend necessarily slogging through the whole movie, but it's worth like Netflixing and just watching that one little scene between the two of them. And that's what you know. It's kind of like that scene in Don't Be Afraid of the Dark with her and the the child psychologist. Also, the paranormal activity scene with the demonologist was. Ah. And also Parents, that Bob Balaban movie, where Randy Quaid's the cannibal, and the kid knows. Isn't that the one where Keanu Reeves plays a drag racer, and the little kid has the bucket on his head? (laughs) (laughs) Dingus, did you like that scene with the the child psychologist? No, I hated it, because it it was just so pat. It 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 tells you absolutely nothing. Um, It would have been funny. This again, and I'm sorry to use the word again, but this is lazy. She's a kid who can draw really good, and she can really do fade and enhance. And even though we've only seen her do uh, spirals, she can also draw demons. Uh, she can draw because she's gifted and creepy. And, and she's this constructed psychiatrist. an intricate world for herself. Yeah. 
Yeah, now I'm going to drug her more because we're going to talk about medications because her mother used to medicate her and all the pets. It's just that, that, that is not – there's no revelation in that scene whatsoever. They don't do a thing with it. It's just a standard I'm going to sit here and ask you questions and I'm the least interesting character uh, what the? F- why do you have that scene? You know why? Because the actual psychiatrist was out of town with the actual demonologist from Paranormal Activity. <laughs> they were probably attending the same convention, I, I imagine. Uh, In Las Vegas with Peter Vincent. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the friend I saw the movie with, she described Bailey Madison as having that poltergeist glaze. <laughs> <laughs> I like this friend. This, this is good. <laughs> Did you bang this friend? Stop. <laughs> oh. So, wrong. what did you learn from the remake of Don't Be Afraid of the Dark? Both of you. I'll go first. I learned... Let me, let me look over my notes. What did I learn? I learned that if you break someone's legs on screen, it's an R rating right there. What? Actually, why was this an R rating? I really uh. didn't... So, normally, I'm... I'm the anti-Kelly wand, and then I'm like, yeah, give it an R rating. Why did, so, Dingus, you mentioned, like, just pervasive terror, that was why this had an R rating? Pervasive. Well, they they were what their, uh, if if uh, what I've read is to be believed, what they were going for is really trying to skirt the edge of making a PG-13 with sort of an R's sense of terror and scariness. And uh, and I, I think it's all just marketing bullshit. Uh, I, uh, there's nothing in the language. There's nothing in the gore. Um, there's, uh, I don't see why it's an R. Yeah, honest. that was just weird to me. Here, here's the only thing that I could possibly think of. So when, when we visit Mr. Harris in the hospital and his eye is swollen shut, you know, that's just makeup. You see that all the time. But what they added, and which I don't think I've seen before and was really gross, is there seemed like there was like pus coming out of his eye. I'm like, oh, that's that's gross. That's kind of making me queasy. Maybe that's why it's an R rating. Eye pus? Yeah. Dingus did mention that in his uh, ratings breakdown. Degree. You sure that's not in there, Dingus? It's not rated R for eye pus? Recheck uh, for eye pus, would you? I took my nap during that because I was waiting for that awesome library scene to come up. <laughs> How about the guy who played the librarian? Man, that's the oh, role God. of a lifetime. <laughs> was that James Marsden as Dustin Hoffman as librarian? <laughs> Jeez. Lot 35, right. portion 11. Oh, Edmund Blackmore. I got that. <laughs> oh, you're sitting over there doing some shit. You come help me find something, even though it's Sunday. It was a lovely library, though, when they had that one over, gratuitous overhead shot. Hey, look at this awesome library where we're shooting. Hey, if you, if you find the mural that he did on his cellar wall, let me know where it is. <laughs> when did he do that? Uh, before he was sucked in, but right after... Yeah. Wait. <laughs> it's when he was really depressed about his son disappearing, so he drew this gigantic picture of him right above where the sun got sucked down into hell. It's his best work, because he wasn't distracted or anything. He really could focus, put his passion into. Also, those creatures have to learn another trick besides the rope over the stairs trick, because that's, you know, after, since 73, we've got to have some more stuff. Yeah, and they did it, they did it twice, didn't they? Like, that was their recurring thing, yeah. They're it only up like they did it five kids. times, but I, I they, maybe they only did it twice. But they did it to the maid. They try. They did it to to uh, Kim. It felt like they tried to do it to Sally. I think it was at least three times in the movie. That's right up there with the trick where 
it takes two people to do this trick, but somebody goes around behind the victim and stands like on their hands and knees behind the victim, <laughs> and then the person in front pushes the person back so that they fall over. It's like, <laughs> it's like that level of sophistication. Uh, that would have been great with the size of the new creatures because he'd be like, <laughs> what, what, what are you guys doing? <laughs> I think it's what did you learn from Don't Be Afraid of the Dark? Oh, that's a really good question. I learned to start just uh, hitting my walls with hammers to try to find a basement. Ah, because you can tell if it's hollow back there. By the way, so the creatures did the whole goofy trick. And again, this is from the original, where they slide a piece of paper under the door, they push the key through, and then they pull the paper back so they have the key. So they did that in the remake. But also in the remake, it seemed like they had free run of the house because of all the vents. Like, it seems like they didn't really need to do that. I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe the vents didn't go into the basement. Well, I, I, you know, for all the goofiness I thought the original had, just that moment was so better in the original. (laughs) They took more time with it. It seemed like it it was creepy. And in um, this one, I I think you said something earlier about this. It just felt like filmmaker was just checking off, okay, we got this from the original. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, like the straight razor. I mean, good lord. Oh yeah, they fucked that up because she because uh, Sally took it. She goes, I need to defend myself. Like, wait, this was disappearing in like the first ten minutes of the movie when you thought they were your friends. What the fuck's up with that friend? <laughs> I did like Just Guy Pierce it. taking Katie Holmes' uh, shower razor and looking at it like, how does this work? Right. Yeah. What is this? Did you learn anything from Don't Be Afraid of the Dark? I learned that uh, Katie Holmes' leg, at least, swings that way. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between. One, two, three, I got that, Kelly Wand. I understood that. Oh, I see. I know what you were going for. By the, By the way, way, I am I am so happy we did this experiment. I can't tell you how much fun I have. Well, next week we'll do it with straw dogs. No way. Uh, Bullshit. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> I, I really liked it, though. I mean, just getting to be exposed to that 73 version and then, I mean, I really loved that. Good, good. I mean, I, it was fun revisiting the original. Uh, I hope folks listening will see the original as well. And uh, So it didn't do too well, by the way. This, uh, oh. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it's like... What did it lose to? The Help? The Help and uh, what else? Not Conan, for No, no, sake. not Conan. It came in third place. It only made like $8 million. So actually, oddly enough, and this bodes poorly for this Shark Knight 3D movie, uh, Final Destination, Fright Night, and Don't Be Afraid of the Dark all had very disappointing openings. Final Destination actually was like $10 million. Fright Night and this were both like $8 million. So... That first huh. Shark Knight movie, uh, Apollo 18, like I don't – maybe people don't want horror movies anymore. I was hoping Friday Night would do well because I really liked that a lot. You did? Really? Okay. I really did. Had you uh, – why? Uh-huh. I, you know, I saw some of the 80s one, and I don't understand what the love is for it. It's just a cheesy 80s movie, and I love Anton Yelchin. I love Colin Farrell. I just thought it was stylistically great. I mm-hmm. really liked it. And I like the Las Vegas thing. The Las Vegas thing totally went, won me over. I thought it was such a great idea. I have to say it is the best scene I have ever seen of Colin Farrell asking to borrow beer. <laughs> I don't think you can top that. 
Uh, he's the Vincent Price or the uh, Roddy right, McDowell? He's the, he's the, no, he's a vampire. He's a Chris Sarandon. And he's oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Uh, so actually, so this will lead into uh, this week's three by three. Oh wait, wait, one last thing. Yes, I just want to say. No, 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 no. I just want to say I saw the Paranormal Activity three trailer. Ah, yes. <laughs> How about that? What do you think? I also wow. Oh, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, great idea. Uh, My theater right. could not have been more bored with that trailer. They were just like, what? Come on. Now it's a Bloody Mary uh, dark silhouette ghost. And, it's and the Tom, direct- the directors of Catfish. No, no it's not. No, yep. it's not. Oh, the guys who did Catfish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not seeing it. Fuck you. Yes, not you are. We're going. I hate those people. I hate them. Is the woman isn't it? Is the fat chick in it? I don't know about the actors, but it's the it's the two directors. Uh, I think one of whom, am I mistaken about this? Wasn't the actor also one of the directors of Catfish? I confuse Ugh, those guys. But I hate two, those people. The two main creative people behind Catfish are the two co-directors of Paranormal Activity. Oh fuck, dude! Just get some fucking Project Greenlight hacks if you're gonna go that <laughs> shit. I'd only see Paranormal Activity three now if I knew it was the Catfish family, like that woman and the two kids. <laughs> In the paranormal uh, activity, Taliwan, <laughs> we'll be we'll be seeing it on uh, on on that that weekend of the podcast. You can bet because it's a tradition. Our first I know paranormal activity one. We've got to do paranormal activity three. Are we as are we as tired and derivative and shitty as that series has now become based on the fact that those fucking catfish directors are making it? Is that the, the Godfather three of the paranormal? Activity? Okay, so if you guys remember when we talked about catfish, one of the things that I thought we kind of agreed on was that before you knew what catfish was going to do, that there were times where it was effectively creepy and weird. So imagine them just applying that to a movie that's supposed to be creepy and weird, and maybe it'll work. Like then watch that trailer. <laughs> Shut up. Tell yourself that again. <laughs> Quit undercutting no. everything I'm saying. <laughs> what we should do is we should have three kids do that podcast. Ah, very good. The, the kid versus the super kid. Yeah. Like the best part of uh, uh, Hangover Part 2. Right, right. I, uh, haha, you invoked Hangover 2. I could have gone to, I could have gone to, I, I didn't go to Super 8 though. That's where I draw the line. Oh. What are you trying to say? It's like Super 8, it's, uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark was the Super 8 love letter to Guillermo del Toro to himself, like Super 8 was Spielberg's love letter to himself. Very good, Kelly Wand, I like that. Yeah, that's actually good. Uh, So, Dingus, explain why, uh, it will lead into this week's 3x3 for something that I want to bring up about Fright Night, but explain, so, actually, you did explain why you liked Fright Night, those, those elements, and yeah, I agree with you that Colin Farrell was good. Here's... Here's what I thought was a missed opportunity in Fright Night. One of my favorite parts of Fright Night was, uh, and not my favorite parts because it wasn't in there much. I wished it had been in there more. And I recall it being a more prominent part of the original Fright Night. I was just so bored of the chick in that. She was cute, whatever. But I wasn't. I didn't think that her and Anton Yelchin's relationship was nearly as interesting as oh, Anton yeah. Yelchin and Christopher Mintz-Plasse's relationship. And I remember that being a bigger part of the original Fright Night. I could be wrong. But I loved this idea that your your friend uh, gets turned to a vampire, and now he's, you know, now you have to fight him. And they didn't seem to do that much with it. Uh, so I was a little disappointed there wasn't more there. Um, I don't remember that from the original, but they did seem to kneecap it because of how he was already moving away from him. Right, right. Uh, Who plays the uh, goofy friend? So that's Christopher Mintz-Plass, who is in Superbad as McLovin. He plays uh, the rival 
Super red Pro mist and yeah, red mist and kick ass. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I can see how he got it that job. <laughs> <laughs> I connect the dots in my head. Uh, so all right, so so playing on that is that that's a sidekick, not uh, one of my favorite sidekicks, but let's talk sidekicks. Uh, see, this week's three by three. We're going to talk about our favorite sidekicks. Now, I don't think this needs much in the way of explanation. Uh, if you guys want to get fast and loose with the definition of sidekick, that's certainly your prerogative. Uh, maybe like MacGuffin, it means different things to different people. Uh, I don't think anything's taken off the table, so Dingus, if you want to use Chewbacca, feel free. Uh, he's a okay. pet, isn't he? <laughs> he's a slave. Like, uh, um, so I can use... Smoke. Now that you said that, I can use droids, because you... Uh... Yep. So, droid. so basically, Jar Jar, R2-D2, Chewbacca. I'm going to put you down for those. It's all sidekicks. Star Wars is compar- comprised like Luke's Han sidekick. Leah's, uh, Tom, um, done and done. You brought it up. Now, cue yakety sex. <laughs> uh, so let's start with Kelly Wan because he's introducing next week's 3x3. Kelly Wan, what's your number three favorite sidekick in a movie? This is my boring one. Okay. But I think it's gonna, I think I predict this is on Dingus's too. Mm. Can I win money guessing that? Uh, we'll put you down for a nickel. Because I think he would have taken it off the table if he wasn't going to use it, because it's kind of out there. Well, I don't have the right to take anything off the table. It's not my list. But my my oh. list, I've scanned it, and I've uploaded it already. So if you're right, you get some money here. What do you mean? You've uploaded it to the quarter to three? No, just to the – to I tweeted it. What? He put it on – he put it on – he uploaded it to the internets. So mm-hmm. you Why? can't change that stuff. So it's the, on our MySpace page. Right. Oh, God. Okay, catfish humor. Catfishomity, man, over here. <laughs> Pants up. Uh, my number three best sidekick in movie history time is my personal favorite ring bearer, Sam Gamgee. <laughs> All right, that's my number three. The other two are better. Go, Dingus. I mean, Tom. <laughs> it's dingus next so I, I just want everyone to know i did not go the easy route i did not take anything from lord of the rings or star wars unlike you guys uh all right so sam gamgee now is he really from movie you know what that's fine so dingus or kelly wand what's your name uh you pref- <laughs> you like the portrayal of sam gamgee in the movies you think that this and is the now- books <laughs> not that we talk about books not the books matter at all for this list whatsoever <laughs> Uh, all right, so Sam, because yeah, he does, he's the only sidekick here. I'll, 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 de- I'll define it, and you, t- you name me another example. Okay. He's the only sidekick who accomplishes more than the main character. He's supposed to be the sidekick too. Uh, I disagree. You're fucking idiot. Uh, the guy in To Live and Die in L.A., who's a sidekick who becomes the main character before the movie's out and ends up killing Willem Dafoe. So suck that's, it. That's not the same. If no, 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 that's a henchman. That's a henchman. You just need uh, a henchman. You're you're fired. Who? Me or Kelly Wand? You, Tom. No, uh, I'm talking about William Peterson's partner. That's not a henchman. That's his. Oh, son. I thought you said uh, William Defoe. All right. No, William. He William Defoe's the villain. And if you remember, one of the I'm ruining to live and die in L.A. for anyone. But but William William Peterson dies halfway through, and so the sidekick has to take over, and then right, he ends right, up right. defeating. So he accomplishes more than the main character. So no, that's I mean, the challenge that Kelly Wan laid. I uh, have thereby met the challenge, and now Kelly Wan owes me five dollars. Oh, uh, hmm. I thought you were also, somehow saying that the guy who was with William Defoe. No, no. Right. Also, this, the sidekick thief in Conan was really helpful during the octopus fight, so that would be mine. 
<laughs> he did drop the keys. That's more he than- should get his own. If they're going to give Taylor Lautner the cross-eyed werewolf his own fucking <laughs> tetralogy of uh, where he's fucking a clone or some shit, then they should at least give that thief character in Conan uh, a great killer. So, do we have more to say about uh, the Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit it, movies? Is that on Dingus's list? And I feel yeah, like Dingus, it, was that on your list? That's way too easy. Come on. Ah, for me, it is way too easy. It's like, Kelly Wan, did you also pick Jude Law from the Sherlock Holmes movie? Fuck that guy. <laughs> After I got bitch slapped with the... Um, I'm not even going to say. I'm not, I'm not going for easy anymore. After that, I, I, got, I got my ass handed to me during the gobstopping, whatever, what the fuck moments that Kelly Wan's list was. I'm not, I, you know. What? Those, what you all those movies are dead mean? to me. Oh, because of what? What was the what was the straw that broke the camel's back? You was you're the when, straw. Wait, wait. I remember the straw now. It was when. Uh, oh, what was it? Oh no, it was uh, biggest WTF moment. Right, right. Okay, yeah, that's true. But Lord of the Rings is is always on the table. That's not dumb like Star Wars. <laughs> Magic rings way better than a laser sword, dingus. God, what's wrong with you? Kelly Wand, I may not be able to carry the list, but I will carry you. <laughs> yeah, he he's the only one who didn't seem to give a shit about the ring. They should have just given it to him to begin with. He was the only one who wasn't. <laughs> I would love to see a Sam Gamgee Nazgul. He's like, oh, great, a ring. Not really my thing. But... All right, so I'm sure that that will be a popular topic of conversation on the thread forum, but let's move yeah. on to uh, Dingus's number three favorite sidekick in movie dumb. Dingus, what do you got? <laughs> What's better? Legolas would have been a better ring bearer. <laughs> That's my impression of the uh, threads of people who won't listen to this podcast, so it's okay to make fun of them because they won't hear this. Right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Continue. All right. For my number three, I've got an idea. I think I'm going to do something a little different this time. Oh, he's going to give us a quote. 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 I want to kill him. Soon. Soon. I want to hurt him. I want to smell him. <laughs> smell him harder. Smell him in there. Smelly bone. Who are right, you? Dingus. <laughs> and what do you want? All right, I think I'll give you guys a quote. I, I thought that was the quote. Idea. All right. What? No, no. Uh, the quote is is thus. Here, here we go with the quote. Mm-hmm. He can tell where you were born, how old your mother was at the time, and what you had for breakfast, all within 30 seconds of meeting you. Rambo. Breach. <laughs> uh, wait. I think it's Bitch Breach. His favorite is that a fuck joke? Oh. What? No, Breach is what? Is that Clive Owen? Uh, Clive Owen was not in Breach. That was uh, Chris Cooper. Oh. Yeah, I, I think so. Dingus, are you picking uh, uh, former FBI agent Robert Hansen as your favorite sidekick? I am not. The The sidekick's name is Steve Arlo. And what? the hero to which he is, so it's sidekick hero. That's how you pair these guys. Sidekick is Steve Arlo. The hero is a guy named Daryl Zero. Oh, yeah. Very good. Dingus loves Ben Stiller movies. I absolutely do, especially when it's this Ben Stiller movie. That's a good and I love this guy as a sidekick. No, oh, Jack Black? It's, uh, it's uh, Zero Effect, directed by Jake Kaz in 1998. Um, and uh, what's so cool about it is that you get to see the hero from his point of view, which uh, doesn't always happen with sidekicks. You get to see the sidekick's point of view. And so you get the sidekick selling the hero with the with the kind of thing that I'm saying. He can tell who you are and where you were born and just 
building the mythology, and then he's sitting there having a drink with his friend and, and saying, he's, I don't think he's ever kissed a girl. He's like 30 or something. Um, and I, I love him as a sidekick because you see him dealing with his girlfriend, his own girlfriend, and having to break up with the side with, with the hero, uh, but not being able to break up with the hero because they are, you know, hero and sidekick. So there you go. So that's actually – that's a good one, Dingus, and the reason that I would not – I mean that that's a good one, and, and it, what it – I would sort of put that in the category of movies that kind of do this cool fake-out variation on the theme where the sidekick's actually the main character. And I'm not, I'm not trying to invalidate your choice, but it reminds me of things like uh, uh, Assassination of Jesse James, for instance. Like that is arguably a movie about – you know what? I hope I'm not screwing anyone's list up. Uh, but I consider doing that, but I sort of feel like it does this cool narrative shift where the sidekick's actually the main character. Uh, and there have been several Sherlock Holmes uh, takes like that where Watson is actually kind of the lead character. Um, but I love that choice, and I do love uh, I love both of them in that movie. Did I, well, did I yeah. screw up anyone's list, by the way? What? Okay. No, no not at all. Uh, I was just going for this idea of a sidekick as a subordinate, um, and whether or not he's the protagonist or not doesn't matter. Absolutely. Bother. And that's that's the same with Assassination of Jesse James. I mean, Casey Affleck's character is very much a subordinate to uh, to Brad Pitt's character. Here's another example of that that I flirted with. Uh, Freddie Rodriguez in Harsh Times, the thing with uh, ooh, Christian ooh, Bale. Nice like, it's a similar thing where he's a subordinate character, but he's still the protagonist. You could do the same thing with, like, Training Day, I, I think. Right. Uh, uh. I, you know, and I, I maybe, yeah, I don't want to mess up anybody's list, but... So, so that's to me an important like like sidekicks can mean different things, but part of what I was looking for is a character who is subordinate to a main character. You know, a, a sidekick is not quite, and this line can be blurred. It's not quite a buddy. You know, buddy movies the characters are equal. I think of like With Nail and I, Midnight Run, Made for instance. Uh, Made, I don't think either of them is necessarily a sidekick. Uh, due date, you know, is one of them a sidekick in Due Date? I don't know. I don't think so. I think they're buddies. So that, for my own personal list, is, is what I was looking for, kind of an unequal relationship. Uh, you know, the they're not buddies in due date. They learn to love each other. What? Okay. Come on. Yeah. They accept, I think, think Donnie Jr. still hates Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. No, they accept each other as equals, and they become friends. Huh. Uh, so here's my number three. Ideally, a sidekick has to have – it has to teach you something about his – uh, the, the the main character, uh, Dingus's thing about zero effect is a classic example, and this one's kind of similar. One of my favorite sidekicks is the Schofield kid in Unforgiven, uh, the Clint Eastwood western, uh, who basically uh, it's an actor named James Wolvet who I think went on to do a bunch of TV. Uh, he's really young in Unforgiven, and he's really good. He's this brash young kid who involves uh, William Money who's Clint Eastwood's character, in the action. He seeks him out. He convinces him uh, to, to sort of set out on this misbegotten adventure that ends poorly. And before it's over, sort of you see Clint Eastwood, you see this kid being brash and pretending to, to be a tough cowboy. Like, that's the real contrast to Clint Eastwood, who is all these terrible things, but he doesn't talk about it. Uh, he sort of internalizes it, and you, it, it comes out by the time the movie's over. But... Uh, what you find out about this this sidekick by the time the movie's over is he completely falls apart. Uh, he has, in fact, never killed anyone. He ends up bailing on the action. Uh, he cries at one point. Uh, just as Unforgiven was kind of a deconstruction of Westerns, 
this character was kind of a deconstruction of sidekicks. Uh, and I love that about Unforgiven, and I love that character. Uh, and it was, it was a very good performance, too. So there's my number three, the Schofield kid from Unforgiven. Who is that? His name's is, is the actor's name is James Wolvet. James Wolvet. He was just a blonde young kid. Like I don't think you'd recognize him from anything. Uh, I don't remember him. I don't you don't remember that, that character? Okay, oh, I don't remember no. that guy. He's he gives. Oh, he's such a great character. He's he's he he gives the he gives the um the pitch basically for one of the best lines in the movie when he says they deserved it or something. Yep. Like that. They they got it coming. They got it. They got it coming. Yeah. 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 So everyone's got nothing to do with it. I thought Morgan Freeman was the sidekick. He's the equal. I mean... But wait, you know, I, now I'm thinking Ed. about the line. What is the line? Is it they deserved it or they got it coming? Or isn't it no one's got it coming? You're taking away from a man the I don't deserve this. I'm making a house or something. No, Gene Hackman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the line to Gene Hackman. Uh, it's right. they had it coming. The kid says, you know, some, William Money says something about having killed people. And the, and the Schofield kid says, well, I'm sure they had it coming. And I think... Clint Eastwood says something like, nobody has it coming. You're taking away from a man all he's ever going to have. Or, right, right. Is that right. what you Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Kelly Wand, you're wrong. Dingus, you're right. Kelly Wand, you also now owe Dingus five bucks. Oh, <laughs> man. I should just shut the fuck up. <laughs> Do you really not remember that character in Unforgiven, mm-hmm. Kelly Wand? I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Right. And when I think of it, I think of Hackman and Clint. It just gets drowned out in my... Uh, you, should, you should see that movie at least once every two years, preferably every year. I love it. I love the movie. I love a lot of things I've only seen once. I really hate to say this because I I have sort of a peripheral understanding of how difficult the business is and how fickle it is. But when I saw Unforgiven, I thought for sure that that kid was going to was going to blow up or, or get a lot more opportunities. And, and again, I hate to say it because you don't know what goes on. And, and I mean, actors are individuals and who knows what went on in that kid's life and where he went. But I, I thought for sure there'd be so much more out of him because he was so good in that movie. Well, maybe he'll have a Jackie Earl Haley kind of career where he's uh, brilliant in something. He disappears and then he comes back. And or, you know, years. Or maybe he just decided, you know, this isn't for me. This business isn't for me. And that's no big deal. You know, he could be a, a tile salesman in Cleveland. And if that's what he wants to do, bless his heart. We support him. Yes. Kelly Wand, what is your number two favorite sidekick in moviedom? Is it, is it, so you've got Lord of the Rings. Uh, we need to get on your list Star Wars before it's over. So. No, no Star Wars. Saving that for your number one. Okay, well, what's your number two then? Hmm. <laughs> Can I redo my number three? I and mean, I feel kind of dumb. Only, well, never mind. No, we've uploaded it to the internet. It's been tweeted, so sorry. All right. Oh, yeah, that's right, because Dingus uploaded it. He, I think, uh, by the way, I want to make a prediction, mm-hmm. and if, if this doesn't come through, then Kelly Wand, I'll owe you $5, so you and me are even, and you only owe Dingus money. I predict that we're all going to have one of this. I, I think we're going to share in common one from now on. I think it's going to be on all three of our lists. I just want to predict that we're all going to share the same one at some point in this list. So, Kelly Wand, what is the sidekick that Dingus and I are going to pick, or are you going to save that for number one? I'll save it for number one. Okay, well, then what's your number two? Now I don't have to think about what you just said, so I can buy it. <laughs> that was a little <laughs> convoluted. I apologize. I'll go back and... I predict... Done. <laughs> okay, you... I'll go you $5 if you predict what you have on your list that we have, but it's going to be on your number one or your number two. 
What's your number two? Could be your number one, though. What do you predict? My, my convoluted joke about sizes and shapes was just going to be lost. <laughs> Kelly, one, how about if I just give you a tally for how much you owe at the end of the podcast? Is that okay? Yeah. Can I write you a check, even if it's not a good check? <laughs> All right. What is your number two favorite sidekick in moviedom? What do you got? It's like rubber stamp and rubber check me in the opposite of you. Okay. Uh, I think we can agree that Clint Eastwood's had the best sidekicks, but my Clint Eastwood sidekick choice is George Kennedy from Tom's favorite film, The Iger Sanction. Primarily for this exchange, in which Clint Eastwood's climbing a mountain because he's this art professor who has to climb a mountain and kill people at the same time. So he has to climb a mountain. And uh, a woman journalist is like uh, interviewing George Kennedy. And she's all, tell me, Mr. Bowman, in your opinion, do these men climb to prove their manhood, or is it more a matter of compensating for inferiority feelings? And he goes, lady, why don't you get yourself screwed? Might do you some good. And he goes back to looking through the telescope. <laughs> That's sidekicked him, damn it. So he's not climbing the mountain with Clint Eastwood? No, he's watching him through the telescope. That's a terrible running. sidekick. That's a terrible what? sidekick. George Kennedy's always the sidekick. He's a perennial sidekick. He's a great... I'm, I'm picking George Kennedy for his body of work. Okay. Mr. Uh, predict what we're going to pick. Mr. Star Wars over here. Mr. Uh, was George Kennedy better in Iger Sanction or Poseidon Adventure? Always has Lord of the Rings on and in uh, Naked Gun, although I guess OJ was the sidekick, but that's my number one. We'll get that later. When you when you said George Kennedy, I thought for sure you were going to go with your your favorite egg movie. Be more specific. <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to go Cool Hand Luke. Oh, uh, they weren't sidekicks; they were buddies. Tom wrote that off when he I said not a physical gesture last week. Or something. <laughs> All right, George Kennedy in the Iger Sanction. I wasn't even aware that there was a sidekick in that movie, but now he I know. Also, if, if it's George Kennedy, you know he's the sidekick, except in Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> Wait, the, and Charles Durning's an albino in it, and I think he's the boss and spy hard. So in the remake Cliffhanger, uh, Michael Rooker is playing the George Kennedy role? Is that correct? <laughs> uh, it's a reboot, not a remake. That's like calling a sidekick... Uh, a henchman. <laughs> it's like calling him our uh, aide de camp. Ugh, don't do that. <laughs> I don't do French. That's racist. Dingus, yeah. what is your number two favorite sidekick in a movie? Hmm, how am I going to present this to you guys? Give us a line. Give us a line. Give us a line. Give us a line. line. We need a party. We want oh, a line. We want I want a line. Picture. I don't I like want... this picture myself. I want to hurt him. I want to smell Tom harder. <laughs> I'm going to stop doing it if you're going to say stuff like that. All right. I'll, I'll stop. Sorry. That was my apology. I didn't mean to imply that I wanted to smell you harder. Yeah, wrong. that's another $10 you owe me. I'm making a oh, note right here. What's All right. Doing? Oh. The $10 Kelly jar. <laughs> it's the Kelly jar. That's exactly the name of it. We will be maintaining a Kelly jar. Uh, the proceeds will be split evenly amongst our listeners. Uh. I'll keep the money in my crematory urn when I'm dead and just take it out when you need it. All right. Like stool dust. No, agree, Kelly. It was interesting. It's a plan. Uh, Dingus, what is your number two favorite sidekick from movie? Dumb. Give us a line from the movie in yeah. which the sidekick appears. Mr. Actor. Right. Here's the line. What? This is Kramer. Chaz Kramer, asshole. Usual Play. suspects? 
It sounded like the Baldwin brother and Usual Suspects. No, those are all. Those are. It's who's the sidekick in that fucking movie? Chaz. What movie has Chaz Kramer? I don't know a Chaz Kramer. Chaz Kramer. It's Kramer versus Kramer, and the sidekicks, ah, uh, the little kid who went on to star right. the Star Wars prequels. Irreconcilable differences. All right, Dingus, what is it? You got us. All right, Chaz Kramer is the sidekick. The hero to whom he is the sidekick is a man named John Constantine. Oh, wow, you picked a Shia LaBeouf movie. That's right, yeah. boldly so. What? <laughs> Shia LaBeouf just yeah. won an award on this podcast. He did. And I think right. it's a good one, so explain, Dingus. Oh. Right, Shia LaBeouf is his taxi driver at the beginning. Chaz, move the car! Um, and he has a couple of really great key scenes, and he's a great sidekick because he, he does a couple of, of things. He really wants to be the hero, and he really wants to help. He really wants to be an active sidekick, and he keeps being told, no, you're not ready, you're not ready, you're not ready. And then at a key moment, he provides information that the hero didn't realize that he had. He's been studying this guy. And then in in the uh, climactic action set piece of the film, he makes a huge, uh, a huge impact and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really good in. I mean, he's good in it. He's good. Shia it's important really to remember. It. Yeah, it's a very important to remember. This is pre Indiana yeah, Jones, pre Transformers. It's before anybody hated Shia LaBeouf. It's before he had all that baggage. Uh, he's so good. He's so he's just the right amount of earnest. He's got a good sense of humor for it, um, which, which a sidekick should have. A sidekick should be able to set the hero up like a straight man would, so that the hero gets a certain amount of jokes. But he should also be able to crack a certain amount of jokes on his own. And Shia LaBeouf is perfect in that. Yeah. Um, and he and he gets denied entry to the club because he can't. He doesn't have the the hero's powers yet. But he's he's just so he's just perfect. I love Shia LaBeouf in this part. And it's a great movie. It's a great movie. Why are you don't uh, go ugh? Why are you going ugh, Kelly Wand? I can't I tell don't. you. Every time I see this and I watch it, I mean, I would choose Constantine for so many more three by threes if I weren't more discerning because it is so good. It is so good. It's such a good movie. Oh it's, man! Every time when you watch uh-huh. when you watch the opening shots of of not not the the silliness with the with the dagger, but but when when uh, the, that text cab pulls up and he drops the cigarette and just all of Keanu Reeves's uh, business with the cigarette and stuff like that. Oh, it's just so well shot. Dingus is our resident Francis Lawrence apologist. How was uh, Water for Elephants? Uh, wet. <laughs> Elephantine. Very good. Uh, I have a question. Are you Mega- now, are, are you going to dispute that Constantine is awesome, Kelly Wand? Have we have we gone over this before? Yeah, I like it. I don't remember Shia LaBeouf being in it. I don't All remember right. the kid from Clint Eastwood movie either. All right, what's your question? We can answer this. Oh yeah, um, I was just curious. Do Megan Fox's fun bags count as two sidekicks? Mm. Brittany, Brittany, is that your number one, Kelly Wand? <laughs> no, it's my number one and zero. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, very good, Dingus. I like that one. So, which I, I guess we've all picked the same because I know you number guys have. You haven't picked my number one because you guys. This is why I picked the the topic, and you guys aren't gonna. You're gonna Kelly one. You haven't even seen the movie, Dingus. You've forgotten about it. Wait, wait, wait. You haven't given us your number two yet. Have That's you? what I'm gonna say. Is my number two has got to be y'all's number ones. 
because I don't otherwise I don't feel like I know you people anymore. But my number two is Ellen Page in Super, because part of what a sidekick has to do is bring is sort of contrast the main character, the sidekicker, the one to whom that character is a sidekick. And Ellen Page's contrast to Rain Wilson in Super is is almost breathtaking. It's this great id and super ing ego kind of pairing you know they're different ages different genders they're both the, their physical performances are very different they have a very different concept of sexuality they come to very different fates uh i just love i think her name is bolty is it Bolte? Aww, Bolte? yeah but yeah i just i i love her character in super as rain wilson's sidekick uh there's the crimson bolty i the theme of my list was who would i want as a sidekick for me and I don't know if I'd you want, want that. Get... Yeah. How could you not? You don't want to get raped. Oh, well, that's such, uh, that's Kelly Wan's line. The, the, in, since when are you saying the inappropriate things? What? Uh, what? Because uh, I'm his sidekick. <laughs> so Kelly Wan, you would not want Bolty as your sidekick. Now, don't spoil. By the way, careful. In case you haven't seen Super, it's a little scene movie. We are big fans of it on the podcast. We recommend it. But Kelly Wan, for folks who haven't seen uh, Super, why would you not want? Ellen Page as your sidekick. Well, I'd want her as my rapist, but I wouldn't necessarily want her as my... I apologize for making that joke. Now you're going to have to edit all of this out. I apologize. Open to the door. That's just... No, it's okay. It's a girl. It's all right. Dingus, you're just you're just like somebody going down in the basement and opening that secret little fireplace that shouldn't be... Called open. Kelly Wan's brain. That's right. <laughs> Luckily, Kelly Wan's brain has four giggle. levels of bricks and rebar. Oh, there's a door on the side, though. Oh, yeah, but it's also hollow. <laughs> and there's and siege. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's party. an excellent choice. I didn't even think of it. I was going to use the excuse that it's too recent a podcast. Too obvious. But I already used Super for a list. So yeah. We don't I, like to repeat ourselves. You guys really didn't think? I thought all of us were going to have Ellen Page. We were so enamored of her. Yeah. yeah. You guys obviously don't like her that much. Whatever. Well, there's such a... I mean... This here's more than a sidekick. There's a darkness there, um, and this a sense of I don't know how you put it. Uh, not she's not hindering him, but uh, there there's this weird um, tension there yeah. that is a different kind of tension and sort of works as an obstacle to him. And I didn't even think of her as a psychic because she seems like such a weird. Obstacle. It's a great choice. Right. And she even uses the word sidekick. She's like, you need a sidekick. I mean, that's yeah, her right. whole thing. And the thing is, like, I don't, like, Hit Girl, of course, comes up too, but I, I can't help but think of with Hit Girl, it's kind of like Nicolas Cage is the sidekick. Right. I mean, she is so dominant a presence in Kick Ass that if any, it, you know, she's the lead character, it's kind of like everyone else, including her supposed hero to whom she's a sidekick. I mean, Nick Cage is the sidekick to her in Kick-Ass. You know, that would have been actually a cool choice, but that's, the, you know, one of the things I was looking at is is uh, is differences between mentor relationships and also, like, the, the voice in the ear kind of relationships mm-hmm. um, where sidekick works. But uh, I like the idea of choosing Nick Cage and then saying he created his own hero. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, you can change your number one. It's not too late, because first we're going to have Kelly Wan do his number one. So give it some thought, Dingus. Okay. Uh, all right. Kelly Wan, what is your favorite sidekick in moviedom? Fucking uh, Willie Ames and Zapped, yo. It's an easy one. That's the one I thought we'd all have. That guy's he's, great. He's the sidekick? 
He, yeah. To whom? Scott Bayo. Scott Bayo's the guy who gets zapped and has telekinesis, but Willie Ames is his uh, shyster friend who gets him to use his powers for good, like cheating at the casino and winning the baseball game by cheating at that and uh, getting Scatman Crothers high and uh, pulling Heather Thomas's top off constantly. Like he's a good friend, and he went. He uh, gets you into the fights that you win with the telekinesis. He's always hey, I know. Use telekinesis to take that guy's head. Never mind. You know, it's been a while. It. It's been a while since we had zapped on a three by three, so I'm glad. Number you got one, it. yeah, and it's actually, hmm. you know what? This is the Zapped podcast is coming sooner or later, fuckers. This is a good yes. time to roll out Zapped because you totally surprised me. I thought you were going to go in, the, in a different direction. Take that, MG. All right. So Plus, Williams, is, may, Williams may be one of the few actors who p- could listen to this podcast. <laughs> I, except I think William died a few years ago. Oh, spoiler mm-hmm. alert! We got uh, him and the McKay director. Those are the only two celebrities who know we exist. And Shannon Doherty. I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> awesome, uh, Dingus. It's not too late. You can change your number one to. You can replace Chewbacca with Ellen Page. What are you going to do for your number one? I'm not going to. Uh, to uh, do what you just said. I'm not going to take super as much as I like your choice. I cannot replace my number one because this is Thanks. my right, absolute on. favorite sidekick. Okay, are you going to give us a line? Wait, hold on, hold on a minute. Yeah, make sure we got this going. Okay. La 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 Dingus, what is your number one sidekick in movie-dom? Alright. You took that off the table. Wait, you're talking about uh, the Omen Kid, right? No, it I'm, I'm not. The... I'm not talking about any of that. But I'm, I refuse to give the line with Yakety Sax in the background. <laughs> there, huh? Yak- Yakety Sax is a perfectly good musical composition. I just want you to know it's perfectly yeah. cromulent, but it does not apply to this particular movie. <laughs> All right, good. I'm glad to hear that. So, what is it then? Oh. All right, here's the line from the movie that I'm talking about, and it's said by the sidekick himself. I know about you and the teacher. Oh, I know how you're talking about. I don't remember Chewbacca. Uh, uh, I forget this kid's name, though. I, know I want it to stop. Does he say that, too? His name is Dirk Calloway, and his yeah. hero is Max Fisher. Huh. Oh, good lord. Hold on. Hold on a second. Okay. La, 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 la. That was, that was a terrible abuse of power, I realized. Rolling out Yakety Sax for Rushmore. I apologize for that. that I wish I could rude. take it back. We'll edit that out. So, <laughs> I love I love Rushmore, not as much as Dingus. And uh, you know what? That That's just an ir- irreconcilable difference that we have. So, so go ahead, Dingus. Explain to us who this character is. What makes him a great sidekick? All right. This is Dirk Calloway. He's played by a, a dude named Mason Gamble, who I don't think he's done much since. Um, but uh, for me, he's perfect. He's He's utterly loyal. But he loses his loyalty because the hero is corrupted at a certain point. Um, and here's an example, another line from the movie, uh, an example of the hero being corrupted. Did you say my mom gave you a hand job? <laughs> so you don't hear a lot of psychics saying that. Uh, he comes to realize that he must save his hero and reheroize him, uh, which he does by 
reclaiming his position as a sidekick in this really lovely uh, reconciliation scene where the hero cuts his hair. I I just love this little kid. I love the way that the the kid works as uh, as Max's as sidekick. I mean, he's writing down Max's lists for him. He's taking care of things for him. He's he's running point for him. And when Max goes astray, he sets him back to rights. There you go. That's it. That's good. Can we hear the line again? I know about you and the teacher. <laughs> oh, are you? <laughs> you were, you were really mean to me, you know. <laughs> Land's uh, a dead language. It's a fruit. Oh, Olivia Williams was in that. Oh, I, for, I like Rushmore more now that I Yeah, she's the Kelly Yeah. Hamana, hamana. Uh, all right, are you guys ready for my number one? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kelly Wand. Yeah. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Oh, <laughs> uh, here's the reason I picked this list for my number one. Let me give you a line. Actually, I can't give you a line. I can't think of one. Uh, I like you. Give us a line. Give us a line. Tell me. Let's read you the line. Faster, harder. Give us the line. All right. Here's the line. Here's the line. Uh, no, I can't say it because it would involve the N word, and I cannot say the N word. Uh, it's, it's from a movie that Kelly Wand I don't think has seen, that Dingus has seen. And I sort of struggled with this because in a way I don't think he's a sidekick. In a way it's almost like a buddy movie, but it's not true because the other character is so dominant in the movie. This character is clearly subordinate. Uh, although it's played like a buddy movie, this character is – he has so much sort of love and admiration for the main character. And part of what I love about this movie is how the director knows that, and it's framed. At one point, the main character has a monologue, and it never goes to a one-shot. You constantly see this quote-unquote sidekick character in the background listening. And throughout this movie, I love the way this character watches and listens to the main character how subordinate he is. There's something almost childlike about their relationship. It's almost like a parent and a child. And, and there's so much dependency in, in this relationship. And part of the reason for this dependency is they're both junkies. Uh, it's a movie about two heroin junkies. Wow. Um, and the, the actor is Tim Roth, and the, the main character is Tupac Shakur. And it's a movie called Gridlocked, directed by Curtis Vondy Hall. Or Vondi Curtis Hall. I screwed up the name. Uh, and uh, it's sort of a day in the life of these two junkies. After a traumatic event has happened, they're going to try to kick heroin. Uh, and it's part adventure story, part kind of buddy movie. Um, but Tupac is clearly the main presence in the movie. Uh, and Tim Roth so sort of subordinates himself to Tupac's presence. And he's so admiring of the character. And it's just fascinating to watch him as a sidekick. Uh, when things happen, he looks uh, over at Tupac to sort of see how he's going to react. Um, it's, it's just a, it's a beautiful performance. Tupac is really good in it. He's clearly not an experienced actor, but his performance, I think, is so elevated. There's that support that Dingus mentioned with Ben Stiller and, and Bill Pullman in Zero Effect. What Tupac is doing is so kind of elevated by the regard that Tim Roth is showing his character on screen constantly. Uh, so I do kind of think of it as a sidekick relationship. Um, I, I watched the movie again. I I just I love watching those two guys. Uh, so there you go. There's my number one, Tim Roth and Gridlock. Kelly Wan, did you ever see that? You didn't, did you? I don't see movies with apostrophes in the title. That's right. It's Gridlock apostrophe D. Yeah. 
I that's not how we talked on the streets. <laughs> uh, Bondi Curtis Hall went on because I was like after watching it recently, I was like, man, what has he been doing since then? He did some action movie with. I want to say is it Tyrese Gibson, where his car gets stolen and his son is in the back of the car, so he's got to re- recover his car from criminals. It's called, I think it's called Waist Deep. I haven't seen it, uh, but he also did, and I can't help but think that this couldn't have gone well for him. Did you guys know that Vondi Curtis Hall wrote and directed Glitter, <laughs> the Mariah Carey thing? Yep. Ew, I saw I know. that. <laughs> it's funny. It's it's a good thing to watch and make fun of if you're. Baked, I thought. Well, I, you know what? I, I feel kind of obligated to watch it just because he also wrote and directed Gridlocked, which I adore. And uh, so maybe I well, should a lot of pe- a lot of a lot of cool people have directed Howard the Duck. Wait, that was bad example. <laughs> how many? How many? <laughs> All right. Well, I blame. Regards. You know what? If Glitter is terrible, I'm going to say it's because of Mariah Carey. What do you think of that? Uh, the male lead's dumb too. Who is the male lead? I can't remember. I just remember laughing a lot while I watched it. See, <laughs> and then I like, watched it. Sort of like with Gridlocked. I don't. I don't know if Tupac Shakur, Shakur had done movies before, but you know, it's uh, Vondi Curtis Hall thinking, "Hey, let's get a famous musician, Mariah Carey in the case of Glitter, Tupac Shakur in the case of Gridlocked, put him at the head of a movie and see what happens." Uh, but he struck gold with Tupac. I mean, Tupac is so charismatic and good. I mean. He's so good. I mean, you definitely get this rawness about him. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I can go along with you on this, Tom. I I want to because I love the movie so much. I don't know if you're swaying me that it's that it that it tips the scales past Buddy to uh, to sidekick. Um, well, why, I why? haven't seen it in a while because you know I think well I heard you talking about it. and I think well can I can I sort of stretch that justification to Midnight Run or that kind of movie. I but don't see, know. Midnight I don't Run remember the dynamic. Equal characters. Like, Midnight Run, there, there's tension. Like, in, uh, in, in Gridlock, Tim Roth never does anything without checking with uh, uh, Tupac Shakur. At one point, when they're in um, McKee Pfeiffer's apartment, uh, Tim Roth wants to take this, this heroin that they've found, and Tupac Shakur is like, no, don't do it. And he, Tim Roth actually takes it and kind of gets in trouble and, feel, and, and almost gets them in huge trouble because of it. But he's so subordinate to what... Tupac Shakur wants like I think he's com- he's constantly sort of tagging along he's like a puppy dog with him I mean it really does feel it I guess you could say like is Ratso Rizzo a sidekick to John Voight in Midnight Cowboy like but you know what even there like I feel like Ratso Rizzo has like such, such sort of presence and independence and personality he's walking there right and there's none of like there's none of that at one point uh Tim Roth gets called out by McKee Pfeiffer for calling Tupac just affectionately the N-word. Uh, and he just, uh, he has no concept that he's done something wrong. He's just so kind of oblivious to things outside of how he interacts with Tupac Shakur. Uh, I, I mean, he's just such a puppy dog alongside of him uh, to, to the exclusion of all else, I kind of feel like. Stop saying making that analogy. It's racist. Also, uh, <laughs> just want to say, glitter makes honey look like all that jazz. Okay, go back to what you're saying. I don't know what Honey is. Is that a movie? Oh, it's Jessica Alba one. You didn't see all those? Dude. <laughs> Coyote thought... Ugly looks like... Wait, what? I did see all that jazz. Uh... Did you see the one with uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead called... Uh... Oh, I forget the name of it. I'll watch all those dance movies, Tom, because you know I love dance. Uh, I girls... saw Step Up 3D. That's as far as I'm willing to... You saw it? You did not. Uh, I mean, I heard about it. 
Wait, what, who wins the war? It's supposed to be the one where it's like war dance. This is the war dance. But they have a line about that. Like it's war out there. Uh, I think everyone. Trump. Wins. All right. Yeah. So it's like Alien versus Predator. Yeah. So Dingus, you're not with me. You're not willing to. You're, you're like, no, it's a buddy movie. Because you know what? I think there's an argument to be made there. I just feel like the relationship though is so uh, unlike buddy movies, even with Nail and I. You know, like there's a certain equality by the time it's over and there's a certain independence. And with Nail and I, it's about them ultimately splitting up. Uh, I just feel like they're so tied together and that Tupac is such the dominant presence in that movie. I don't know. Uh, I think you might be right. I have only seen it one time and I fell in love with it, but I don't remember the dynamic. So um, I'll go with you because you've seen it more times than I have and you saw it most recently. So I can I can sign on for that, but. Uh, with uh, sort of the caveat of if I see it and I have to change that, then we're going to tweet that. Well, okay, but if I'm going to let you have been, if I'm going to let you have been Stiller in zero effect, I might take that away from you if you veto my Tim Roth. Well, and I was only saying that because you were reluctant about Rushmore because you hate that movie so much. You know what? You're Owen Kelly won ten bucks now. I'm putting you down. <laughs> All right. Who's the sidekick and cop out? Kevin Is that Smith. the Kevin Smith? <laughs> The director. <laughs> the yeah. guy who wrote it, yeah. Uh, all right, so there we go. Runners up. Uh, Dingus, now's the time to mention Chewbacca. Go ahead. Uh, okay, I was not going to. Uh, instead, I was going to mention another Francis Lawrence film and wonder if I could make Sam into a ah. What about the dog? What about the dog in Paranormal Activity 2? Lu- Lucy? What was her name? Lucy? Not a sidekick. It's Animal. Abby. It's Abby, but, and I've already chosen both of those. Uh, so I, I love Sam, but uh, but the the only I have a whole list of things, and I just kept winnowing, winnowing them down to to try to refine the idea of what a sidekick was. Uh, the other one was uh, Andre the Giant as uh, as Inigo Montoya's uh, sidekick. He changes masters. I, yeah, I was going to say I thought he was Wally Shawn's sidekick. He's the sidekick, then he becomes uh, Carrie Elway's sidekick. He's a born no. sidekick. I think the two – no, no. Uh, he's Wallace Shawn's hire. I mean, he's hired both Inigo Matoya and and, and uh, Fezzig. And, ah, you um, know what? He goes from henchman to sidekick. How's huh. That? Huh. And it's very clear that he's Fezzig's – I mean, he's, he's Inigo Matoya's subordinate. They have the really distinct relationship of, of who's in charge here, and it's – it's kind of clear that he's the sidekick, and they're both hired, and they're henchmen, and they turn into that. Yeah. How do you guys feel about John Goodman and Big Lebowski as a sidekick? Because I kind of feel like he's a little too dominant for that to work. What, what do you guys think about that? Donnie's the best sidekick. Donnie's more of a sidekick, is if there is one, I would say. Dingus, what do you, you want to uh, refute that? No, no. My, when you said John Goodman, my mind went immediately to Steve Buscemi. Right, right. So, uh, other other runners up dingus or but the, like, but the thing is that they're sort of uh it's like a sub a sub sidekick because it's like he's john goodman's sidekick yeah. and they're <laughs> right. both attached to uh jeff riches right he's their general the way you're our g- podcast general <laughs> and i'm the bashimi dingus is probably the john kelly one i like to think of you as uh john gilgood in arthur and i'm dudley moore and Kelly Tom's and Liza Minnelli. No, Dinkus is Liza Minnelli. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's I what I meant. I can't believe that Kelly Wan didn't bring up uh, Short Round. Uh, that's not you crazy. Well, because then uh, it could have been, I don't know. I like Short Round and I like that movie, but then is Willie Scott the sidekick? 
I almost had him because he does. Um, I but when know. you opened with Sam Gamgee, I thought for sure short round was on the horizon. No, and then I felt dumb. I'm all, this is probably going to be the one I'm going to regret, and I was right. <laughs> but, uh, but I couldn't ignore Sam because it's like, that's what he's the best sidekick you could ask for. His resume is spotless. And I also wanted He'll to look done. at, let me try to watch Last Boy Scout again because there's a funny line in there about sidekicks. Is Jimmy uh, Fox a sidekick? No, it's the the kid who thinks he's safe because of the rules of movie making, and then he realizes, no, no, uh, I'm not safe because I'm the sidekick. And uh, and then like he's playing chicken, and then he, I, I, I mean, I haven't seen this movie since it was in theaters, but I just remember there being some, no, no, I'm the comic sidekick, and so he realizes that he's he can't be saved because of movie rules, uh, because of the rule, the uh, controverting rule about being a sidekick. Uh, but I I didn't have time to watch. Is that a, is that a Shane Black script? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a minor Shane Black. Remember, uh, he gets the gun in the football game because that's the best time to commit an assassination. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, last action hero, not last boy scout, last action hero. That's oh oh, you know, I was, uh, so the Charles that's, that's the Schwarzenegger thing with Charles Dance. Whereas right, Shane right. Black wrote Last Action. Yeah, Dingus, we were riffing on the other yeah. movie. You, you, way to screw it. Dingus, you now owe Kelly one twenty dollars Okay, uh, I'm happy to pay him. Will he take uh, a check or PayPal? <laughs> so, yeah, I was just thinking of uh, Last Action Hero and how that kid is like... I love that you mix those up. That's fun. yeah. Well, it's, well and it's I was thinking too looking. that I didn't realize that Last Boy Scout was so meta. <laughs> it's like, wow, yeah. good for them. Before they were ahead of their time. <laughs> Doesn't... I think Last Action Hero came before it, too. So it's like Last Boy Scout is even like, all right, we already parodied this in Last Action Hero, but here are all those conventions again. Well, isn't, so Last Boy Scout is just like an earnest Tony Scott movie, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, whereas Last Action Hero, who actually directed that? Oh, oh, that's the uh, pen, uh, the, the, the Loch Ness, incident at Loch Ness, dude. Um, Zach Penn. Zach Penn wrote it. Did he direct Last Action Hero? Or did someone else? We don't know. That's before our time. Oh, well. The daughter's the sidekick, too. Huh. The daughter in True Lies, is she a sidekick? Oh, uh, dude, best marriage. Arnie and Jamie Lee Curtis, most convincing. Do, do you remember the moment I'm talking about where the kid is playing chicken and then and he thinks he's okay? Because the whole thing is about movie rules. Right. And, and he realizes at the last second that he's a sidekick. And he but he's a kid. Him. And look, he doesn't die. See, worried about nothing. Fucker. But, but he, he saves himself because he thinks, well, I can win this game of chicken because of movie rules. And then at the last second, he, if memory serves, I mean, and, and I'm the guy who thought it was last Boy Scout. At the last second, he goes, no, I'm I'm a comic sidekick. And then he realizes he he can be killed. If he if he'd seen Don't Be Afraid of the Dark the remake, he wouldn't have stressed it as much. Because mm. minor rule. <laughs> Wait, is have that movie rules change? Is that McTiernan? Yeah. Yes. It yes. Is. Very good, Dingus. Very good. He's made one good movie ever. Oh. Uh, I guess I like I like Hunt for Red October and Die Hard One. And then what else? I didn't like Thirteenth Warrior. Am I the only Nomads? Person? Don't you like Nomads? What's that? Oh, I like I like Thirteenth Warrior a lot actually. Eh. Mm. Nomads. Yeah. Nomads like... is a is Adam Ant as the ghost of an Eskimo haunting Pierce Brosnan. That sounds kind of good. It is Leslie Ann Warren. Oh, which I like both of those. Yep. Uh, Nomads is a movie that I that freaked me not freaked me out, but that I was fascinated by as a kid and used to like watch it over and over again on VHS. It's very early John McTiernan. It's probably awful. I can't imagine it's any good. But I used uh, to watch Leslie Ann Warren on VHS a lot over and over. What's she from? Till I was done. 
okay. Wow. Speaking of that, Kelly Wan, what was next week's 3 by 3 Wait, Tom, do you have any uh, runners-up? Yeah, uh, runners no, let's see. Chewbacca, R2-D2, Jar Jar. No. So let's see. You know what? I, it sucks that we don't, we don't get uh, Johnny Depp as Sancho Panza. I would have really liked uh, that. That's the world's oldest, the, the Earth sidekick, the original sidekick. I would have loved to have seen Johnny Depp. Do. He also got bitched out of Tonto last week. Johnny so Depp's it hurts on him, the sidekick. He's born to play a lead, yeah. Just like Gutenberg. Uh, Bucky made a really big impression on me. And kept... <laughs> <laughs> they really uh, amped the ante on that one. Uh, yeah, wow, that Bucky. Should, they should do a spinoff. I didn't see that coming. I thought he was going to... Do a sidekick from To Live and Die in L.A. and outlive Captain America, but I was wrong. Instead, they uh, recycled the train from Wanted. Yeah, you'll kill it. Also, Renfield is an awesome sidekick. He is, but what movie? I couldn't think of a good movie, Renfield. Wasn't Tom Waits a Renfield in some movie? Was it the Keanu Reeves Dracula? Yeah, it was the Coppola. Uh, He's, yeah, I couldn't think of a good Dracula movie. Love it first bite's good. Oh, you know what? Here's one. Here's one. Uh, ben Foster in 40 Days of Night was pretty cool. Like, I kind of like that movie. And Ben Foster's like the, the, the Renfield who arrives ahead of the vampires. You guys remember? No, that movie's not that good. Don't huh? like that. Don't yeah. like 40 Days of Don't? Night. Okay. I won't. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. All right. How many, how many Days of the Night? Wasn't it 40 Days of Night? The, it's a comic book about oh. vampires oh, okay. in Alaska. And uh, it's, it's, who, it's God, the Josh. It's the Josh Hartnett movie with yes. 40 in the title that's not about him giving up masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be 30 days of night. It can't be 40. Why not? That's ridiculous. 40 days of night. I like that movie a lot. I, I got to see that. No, don't uh, like that movie, Dingus. Don't like that movie. I'm not allowed okay. to. You're not allowed to either. My mistake. Dingus is allowed to like it because he's a woman. I came out wrong. Dingus, you were going to say when you, lo- you got to see it? Uh, 30 Days in, that, the vampire one, the Danny Houston crazy vampire one. Right. I saw that, at, like, on a, the, one of the first HD movies I saw, like, in a hotel room with really great HD. Uh, it just looked so, uh, you know, that dig, all that digital blood and everything, and I really liked it a lot. And a great sense of place. Digital yeah. blood? What the fuck? I can't believe that. So your, your guys' contention is 40 days, and my contention is 30 days. Uh, I think this is right. I looked it up. We'll split the right. difference. 35 days of night. Not, <laughs> not an hour more. Yeah. We'll Never do. more. Uh, all right. So are those all? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes, yes, Kelly Wand. Tom Hagen from Godfather. Yeah, who's that? Which Robert was he? All right, anyway. And also... Uh, Dennis Quaid and Caveman, who's kind of like the Willie Ames character. You know how I feel about Caveman. All right. That's, that's it for that's me. twice you've mentioned Dennis Quaid on this podcast. What was the other one? That's Shark Teeth. Parents. Parents. That's Randy Quaid. Oh. Unless, out. Did I say Dennis before? I'm probably an idiot. You know what? No, I, I, I screwed. That's my bad, probably. Let's, let's move uh, on. Uh, Randy no, Quaid gonna, was Are we going to accept Tom Hagen? Are we going to accept that, Tom? No. No, but I am going to charge Kelly Wan five bucks for that. However, that I fun. owe Kelly Wan ten dollars for screwing up Dennis and Randy Quaid. So Kelly Wan, that puts you up five bucks. All right. Who's but the sidekick? Twenty. Mm. All right. What is next week's three by three? Who's in Who's in charge here? Is it Dingus's or Kelly Wan's? Yeah. All right, Kelly Wan, what do you have for us? What is next week's three by three? 
You know who I should have put, who I wish I'd put, was uh, Thomas Hayden Church in Sideways. See, buddy movie, buddy movie, buddy movie uh, all the way. Yeah. Mm, eh, mm, they're the novelist, and the other guy's an idiot, so obviously he's, he's an sideways. idiot in the movie, too. What the? <laughs> Kelly <laughs> Wynn, <laughs> <Kelly Wynn, laughs> you don't understand my plight. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. That's from your uh, novel that John Cusack wrote in 2012. <laughs> Are you chewing gum? <laughs> Me? Oh. oh. <laughs> gum. Kelly, one hurry. Give us a three by three, or we're just going to start quoting sideways all night. I can do this Wait. all night. I can. I can. I, I'll do it. I just did speed on Dingus. I raised him a speed reference. There's gum on my seat. Gum. That's how she gets out of going out. Not going out with the sidekick from Ferris Bueller. It all ties in. All right. Uh, new 3 by 3 for next week is Three Best Battles of the Sexes. That's all. Okay. Fuck you. Care if you like. I don't care. Sometimes I care. This time I don't really I'm not interested in you like it. Uh, Three Best Battles of the Sexes. Okay. Well, I don't really have to say to that. Oh, good. Oh, in movies. Okay, in movies. Hold on. In movies, it has to be a battle and of them, not in them. Well, well, actually, I take that back. Dingus, do you want to try to, like, veto this or caveat it or narrow it down? Or how do you feel about the way it's presented, Dingus? I feel like we could pretty much do whatever we want. And if we start to ask him to narrow it down, we're going to wind up with opinions about puppets. Yeah, he might make a All right, good. Let's let's taking time bomb already. Does uh, can, should we ask him, Tom? Um, let's shut off his mic for a second. Right, right. I can hear you. Okay. Uh, Tom, should we ask him to take something off the table or to provide an example? I don't think so. so. That, I think no. I think that'll just be counterproductive. It'll just give him opportunity to just run roughshod. Uh, I think we want to keep him sort of corralled at this point. If we ask him a question, it's like opening the gate a little bit, and he'll burst out and just run around the pasture. We'll never get him back in there. So, that's a good point. That's a really. Yeah. And then next thing you know, there'll be like a piece of barbed wire across the stairs. Oh, good lord! Yeah, and he'll be whispering things about rape. We don't want that. No, we don't. You're right. Okay, you're right. All right, all right, Kelly. One, so good, good. We like this. I think we're both we're all clear on it. Uh, this next week's day by three is uh, best battles of the sexes in movies. <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Listeners and fellows. Kelly, just say once, just say you're welcome slaves. Please just say that once. You're welcome slaves? <laughs> when you do it as a question mark, it's not as funny. Uh, that, just, that just makes me feel good about having seen Conan hey, the in three days. Say that funny thing. Say that funny thing. Uh, okay. Buh, 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 buh. Uh, no. <laughs> He's shit. Fuck you. Sorry. We've Come been... on, monkey. No, I... Come on, monkey. <laughs> do it. Dance. One of my favorite sidekicks, by the way, is Kelly Wand on the Quarter of Three Movie Podcast. I just want to... What's Dingus? <laughs> Dingus is the favorite sidekick. Dingus is the I'm, I'm the Steve Buscemi to your John Good. <laughs> You're out of your league, Dingus. <laughs> All right, next week, here we go. I'm actually very, very excited about this. Dingus and I are huge fans, as usual, of a movie that Kelly Wand hasn't seen called The King of the Hill, but say those words in Spanish, which I think is El Rey de la Montaña. I don't know. That's my Spanish right there. Racist. Uh, there's, there's a cool movie called The King of the Hill. It's a Spanish movie directed by Gonzalo Lopez Gallego. And for whatever reason, this fella uh, 
I think it's an American English language movie. I'm not sure, but there's a movie opening next week called Apollo 18. Yay! About it, Dingus doesn't know anything about it. I presume Kelly Kelly knows enough about it to be excited, which I consider a good sign. So next week we will be seeing Apollo 18. Yay! If between now and next week you can manage to see King of the Hill, I recommend doing that. We might refer to it. I don't know. We'll try not to spoil it. Uh, Watch the TV series. Not that one, no. Oh, and uh, we will be back with Kelly Wan's three by three of our favorite battles of the sexes. So I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Malin Christian Malinsky. <laughs> battles of the sexes. Yeah, it's Christian Moroski. And also Kelly Wand. Agatha Christie murder mystery, but it's cavemen. Hmm? I got a monster in my closet. Someone ah. coming ah. in my bed. Ah. Someone's knocking at my window. Ah. I can't ah. but it's already dead. It waits until the midnight hour to call. title for this script yet, but it's basically I, Claudius, but with robots.